In this episode, we're going to be looking at the album Sign of the Times by Prince. Prince Rogers Nelson, born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, was a singer-songwriter, musician, record producer, dancer, actor and director, and widely considered one of the greatest musicians of all time. Sign of the Times was the first studio release following the breakup of the revolution. I've chosen this album because of its overwhelming popularity amongst fans and music lovers alike. It's also an album I personally felt was leaving a big hole in my music collection. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the show. This is Sign of the Times by Prince. You're listening to Between the Tracks, a book club but for music. Join the conversation at tracks.show. Let's buy <laughs> Not again. Got my chest uh, up. Sorry about that. All right. Let's go. Come on. Drink. <laughs> Shock attack. Drink. Hold on your face. Drink. Drink. All right. How's it going, lads? Hello. 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 I had a right frog in my throat then. Did you? Robert. Hello. It's good, Carl. How are you? Fine, man. Doing all right. How can you not be doing all right after a week of Prince? I'm doing better than all right, actually, yeah. yeah. The purple one himself. What a fantastic little man he is. <laughs> he is a beautiful little man, a beautiful <laughs> tiny man. In a good uh, way, in a good way, perfectly fine. I needed this pod today, though. Yeah. Pod. Yeah. You had a bit I just, of a week? Yeah, I've had a bit of a week, and I needed to just chat. Good, man. Well, pick the right place for it. Yeah. Shoot some breeze with, yeah. with us and Prince. Yep. Yeah. And the Prince team. Oh, yeah. Been good though, honestly. I've enjoyed it. I can't wait to start talking about it. I can't wait, man. Yeah, it is an amazing album. Um, so yeah, well, let's uh, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode three of Between the Tracks. As you heard in the intro, we're going to be talking about the Purple One, his royal badness, the man himself, Prince, and looking at Sign of the Times. This was Charlie's choice this week. Um, amazing yep. choice, Charlie boy. Thanks. So, do you want to let us know why you thought of this one? Why this was your choice? Yeah, it was. It was a weirdly obvious choice for me when I was thinking about the first album to bring in and I thought I thought of it because I almost felt bad that I'd never listened to the album in its entirety and much of Prince's back catalogue and I think so many people were like oh you know this Prince tune I'm like yeah, yeah <laughs> of course yeah I love that song but actually I mean, I it's a big no catalogue man it's hard to be yeah the top and tails of it yeah but I feel like it's one of those like parts of the journey that you should probably have done already and I just felt a little bit shit for not of having listened to it Fair and enough. I just wanted to get into it. And I was even more excited when it was an amazing album, which it was, it was always going to be. But Yeah, man. It really is a, a, a good choice. Um, for anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast before, just to kind of let you know what we do here, it's a book club, but for music. So the idea is that each week, one person out of the three of us picks an album on a rotational basis. So I picked the first week, Chris picked the second, and this week is Charlie's. Next week, it'll go back to me. And what we do is a week in advance, we'll give you the next week's album at the end of the episode. You can all go away and listen to it. Leave us some comments. Um, we love it when people get involved and send us some comments or voicemails or any of that stuff. We'll bring them into the show and make it a communal thing. We, we kind of want to keep the podcast as clean as possible without any advertising or anything like that. So we do um, encourage people to get involved. And we do have a Patreon set up now, which if anyone does want to support the show in any way, please um, head to our website and you can find that. Which... Help me, I'm poor. Yeah. Flip, flip us in a quid if you want to. Flip us if in you a can, quid. if you can. There, there is a tip jar. But yeah, this is episode three and it seems to be going okay so far. We Today we hit a thousand plays of, across the two episodes so far, which is amazing. Really good, isn't it? We're really proud of that. Which very, is very good. happy. Very happy. 
thank you to anybody that's listened. If you're if you're coming back, thanks for that. Yeah, well, and seriously. welcome back. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah, thank you for for showing love to it, and we've had some nice engagement and some nice reviews. So that's been good. As far as introductions go, uh, my name is Carl Lewis. This is Charlie Fowler. Hello, Carl. And this is Chris Bibbidi Dab Bunt. <laughs> a new one every week. Be, Absolutely. Ba, 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 I'm gonna run bunk. out, on <laughs> No, you'll never run out. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> Throw up. <laughs> so, do we want to jump straight in, or is there anything we want to address first? Um, can I ask? Have, did you guys listen? Had you listened to this album before this podcast? In its entirety, probably not. No, I was a real late convert to Prince. Hmm. Didn't get Prince. I was like, what? Like, don't, just don't get it and then I think maybe I grew I grew a spine I grew a backbone or something and then it, then it made sense you definitely grew yeah. some sort of bone <laughs> hey get in alright hey I have that after this week <laughs> <laughs> very controversial oh. <laughs> um, so there you go um, and that's our button to this week <laughs> yeah and there it is we blew it all in the first minute yeah. um yeah, I, I, <laughs> are we just going to talk in innuendo for the whole episode? Yeah. In your endo. <laughs> Drink. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had listened to a lot of this album, but never just in passing. I mean, I remember recently, well, I'm going to say recently, it's probably about two years ago now, Chris was in, in the house here with me and we woke up one day, we had a big night out. And you woke up and for some reason really wanted to listen to Sign of the Times all the way through. Did I? Did me, me, you and, and, and Mike, yeah. And we woke up and you were like, man, I've never really listened to this album. I just want to play it today. And you did. And that was it. <laughs> so I have heard it yeah. in its entirety. Probably, Bloody we probably still a bit drunk. So. Yeah. So but I bet it fueled me for the rest of the day. So. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. It didn't, didn't fuel Mike, bless him. He was, a rough one. he was having a rough one that day. He's having a goth hangover. Again. A goth hangover, yeah. Shall we get this show on the road? Let's get the show on the road. Please cool. Do. So yeah, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming back. This is episode three, and this is Prince, Sign of the Times. Sweet mother of hell. I know. <laughs> what an opener. So yeah, that was track one, Sign of the Times. I can't stop listening to it. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so, it's so mad. Good. It's one of those tunes though, like when you've listened to it five times, it's better. Ten times is better. Like, it it just, does get better every time. You're right. bloody mm. At I first think... I thought it was too stripped back. And yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, I don't really know if this is going to go anywhere. But then the more you listen to it, like you say, the more it just becomes amazing. Is that yeah. because we're used to like tracks full of production? Possibly. Well, we get a lot of that this this uh, album anyway of like real sparse production, mm -hmm. real obscure, weird things happening. Yeah, yeah. You said a, a great thing to me earlier in the week. You're like, this album sounds like they've recorded it and then mixed it and then played it through a speaker and just recorded the speaker <laughs> in some weird way. And <laughs> it does in places. A lot of it is like that. Yeah. I think a lot of that was down to the fact that it's in a kind of amalgamation of a bunch of different projects that he was working on. So to briefly preface that for everyone because it's easily found online and explained a lot better than I can do it. Prince and the Revolution were working on a project called Dream Factory in 1986. Shortly after that, Prince disbanded the revolution. And after coming away from that, he went away to do a solo project under a, a pseudonym, Camille, which was a project they put together and pitched to Warner Records. After a short while, he decided that wasn't the direction he wanted to go in. So he scrapped that album and started working on a bigger project, which was called Crystal Ball, which was going to be a triple album which was an amalgamation of 
the Dream Factory stuff, the Camille stuff, and also extra material that he'd put together whilst Camille was pitched to Warner. He was in a process where he was just churning out music left, right, and center. This sounds correct to me so far. Yeah. <laughs> Once he pitched that triple album to Warner, they thought it was going to be too big. They thought it would alienate listeners who might not be able to afford a triple album because that would be an expensive thing to sell and a hard thing to pitch to press and charts and stuff like that. The best they could do is promote a double album. So he went away, cut down Crystal Ball into a double album, which became Sign of the Times. The whole concept was scrapped, but all the songs remained the same from those, but were just put together into this double album that was Sign of the Times. And I think that's the history, and I think that's as deep as you need to go. I'll give you that. <clears throat> Take a breath. Well done, Carl. Bloody hell. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you took it. Thanks for that, mate. <laughs> it's a hard one because it was such a bizarrely creative time for him. And so to be able to kind of put that down and find out where everything came from, it's interesting. Um, what I do have is a infographic that I'll put into the show notes, which shows you all the three projects and which songs from which project made it to the album in its final form. And I know Chris has that information as well. So we'll kind of get trickle it out as we go through yeah. the album so people can get a feel. I'll try and, yeah, I'll just try and flag them where they are. There's so much stuff going on all the time mm. uh, with Prince, obviously. I mean, he's prolific. Well, there's prolific and then there's this sort of Prince, you know, yeah. as a mainstream artist, he's releasing an album a year at this point and he's not releasing shitty albums on the side. <laughs> he's, no. re he's releasing albums, you know, proper, proper world-beating albums that are, that are considered, you know, the best. I mean, this is the most... Um, it's, I think Purple Rain sold the most, but this is this garnered the most critical acclaim, as, as far yeah. as I could tell. For sure. It looked yeah. that yeah. way. Yeah. And it won like lots of end of year best albums and all sorts in 87. So still yeah. wins awards now. Like if you look yeah. at the... Yeah. yeah. I mean, 87 was such a competitive year. It didn't sell as good as it was expected to, but it became such a foundation of his music and such a representation. Yeah. It yeah. became such a massive part of his career. But mm. initially... It wasn't the best-selling album, but I mean, I looked up and found what albums were actually released during that year in 87. And I mean, the competition was nuts. You had like Michael Jackson, Bring It Out Bad, Fleetwood Mac, Tango in the Night, Paul Simon, Graceland, Genesis, Invisible Touch, License to Ill, Whitney Houston's first album, Cameo, oh, Word Up, word. just endless. Mm, big one. It's a competitive year to bring yeah. out an album. Yeah. Um, but, he, but he did well, didn't he, our boy? He did oh, well. Our boy did bloody well. But the, So the song itself, though. What do you, how, what do you feel, how do you feel about the song? It, it was a slow burner for me a little bit in that I liked it, but I, once I dug into the subject matter and kind of realized the dystopian, reflective, apocalyptic mm. sense of it, that mm. really made it. I'll tell you what, like obviously the lyrics are, uh, are very creative and, and everything, but it's nice this week to actually listen to an album and go, yeah, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for the most part, yeah. For the it'll most either be, part. It'll be sex god or um in this case a social commentary on what's going on in the world exactly mm -hmm. uh, i know that when it was made um there was an there was a big earthquake in in la when he was so he worked a lot in sunset studios mm -hmm. sunset sound excuse me yeah and there was a big earthquake out there and it it scared him a lot and he went back to minnesota after that as far as i'm aware and a lot of what is referenced in this song is directly what's happening on that day i think when he arrived back yeah, he's or, or be between LA and then going back to Minnesota. These things in the newspaper were just what's happening at the time. Like the disciples are a real gang, I think a Minnesotan gang. Yep. You've obviously got the AIDS pandemic. It's worth pointing out on the subject of AIDS. This was the first song ever to acknowledge AIDS. Wow. It was something mm. that people were not acknowledging. Like if we don't think about it, it doesn't really exist. But this was the first song to really kind of bring it out. I love the line about when the rocket ship explodes everybody still wants to fly mm -hmm. because that again that was in the shadow of the the challenger yep. um, mm -hmm. explosion 
which again is nuts. But it's a great way of saying that no matter how much you've got, people still want more. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's mad. So much, so much things are touched upon in here, but it's all wrapped up in such an amazingly produced song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the bass line, you yeah. know, the synthesizer, did you boys read into that? Like, no, no, tell us. He used um, a groundbreaking Fairlight synthesizer. Oh, no, I yeah, did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that's where it came did from. Did you see what it looked like? <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> uh, did you see the video of someone de- yeah. demonstrating it? If you were, uh, it's our very first computer. If you press this button here, you can actually create a cratchit note. Yeah. And it was it's, it was amazing. It's insane. It's the weirdest looking keyboard and big old computer. And that's what the bass line yeah. was made on. Most of most of the track was played on that. Wow. Mm. One of the lines I did like was in the second verse, which is um my sister killed her baby because she couldn't afford to feed it and was sending people to the moon. Mm. And mm. it's like such a direct attack on the general economic struggle in America and how that was largely unaddressed by the administration at that point. Like the Apollo 11 mission in 1969 cost $24 billion. Yet there are people who can't afford to feed mm-hmm. the children yeah. at home. It's like, let's maybe look after this world before we go find another one to destroy, you know? Amen. Yeah. So, so a brave, a brave start to the album. Um, I did a lot of research on this album through a, like a, a podcast on the album itself, because this was released as like a super deluxe edition last year in 2020. It was uh, made by someone called Andrea Swenson. She also writes some of the liner notes in the new album that comes up. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fascinating podcast. I would say it's more for those people that want to know more about the other tracks that are featured and stuff that was discarded and things like that. Yeah, the kind of extras, um, the album but extras. But there's, there's, there's lots of good stuff in there. So I would urge anybody to, um, to go and listen to it if they can anyway. Um, it's a little eight-parter eight of half an hour episode, something like that. I guess it's worth saying that this entire song, because this is quite impressive, was recorded and mixed, written, recorded and mixed in one day by Prince on the 15th of July, 1986, which is madness. Easy. Easy. Easily easy, done. Easily easily done. Easily Another! Done. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Well, let's move on to track two, which is called Play in the Sunshine. And we'll uh, carry on after that. So this is track two. That was track two, Play in the Sunshine. Kick drum on that track is madness. It's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the tiniest little kick drum and the oh, tiniest little word. drum kit. You know those like, tiny kits you get for your baby or something? And yeah. I felt like it was like one of those tiny little kick drums. I was like, oh. Have you ever seen this? those drum kits that you can buy for your office desk and it's like a tiny little drum kit and you play it with play pencils? With your fingers, yeah. Or fingers, yeah. Maybe and you that, played it on one of those. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past it. That's what yeah. he, was, he probably could. A tiny purple one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, yeah. a, what a contrast between the, you know, theme-wise from the last track. Yeah, I think it was, it's, it's more like a, right, well, the world's going to shit. Let's go out and have some exactly. fun. I'll tell you what's um, interesting that you say that because I'm, I'm pretty, you, you haven't listened to that podcast, have you? Because early on in that, um, when they're talking to um, Wendy and Lisa, so the revolution era musicians mm-hmm. and songwriters, they talk about how much fun they were having before the making of this. And he would often, Prince would often say to them, that just bring in anything, uh, just put, put stuff on it, make it really fun. They just, they're just bringing in weird, fun instruments, toy instruments and stuff. And uh, she says like patty cake rhythms and stuff like that. Right. And there's amazing parts throughout this song where they do like, like at the end of this, it's a... Who the fuck puts that in a song? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, you, or they'll put like the wedding march in. Mm. It's like, what? <laughs> why? But also, why the hell not? 
And the placing of it is so Prince after something so dark, like yeah. you said, Charlie, going into something like this, it is so fun. One of the lyrics I didn't want to pull out was in the second verse, I think it is, he says, and the color green will make your best friends leave you. It'll make them do the walk. Now, have any of you guys heard of a band called The Time? Like, I, I love The Time. It's no. A, no. They're like a funky kind of, I mean, go listen to The Time, do that. And that was a band fronted by a, a guy called Morris Day. All the music was written and recorded by Prince originally. When he signed his Warner deal, he was allowed to basically sign artists on behalf of Warner. This band, the time that he created, he basically signed them to the label and gave them a thing. And that was an outlet for his kind of funkier stuff. Right. Now, him and Morris Day, the lead singer of the time, fell out over money and ended up going their separate ways. And the time had a really good song, which was a dance and it was called The Walk. It was mm -hmm. the name of the dance. And so this lyric, and the color green will make your best friends leave you. It will make them do the walk. And the walk is obviously a time song. So that line, it feels like it directly addresses the Morris Day thing. Right. And, him leaving so. him. and that's kind of how they fell out. Oh, so that was, I thought that was a good lyric because it's one of the only times he addresses that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So but then yeah, if you guys watch the, the live version the, on the concert film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My God. You know, when he's like doing his spins, he, he's got amazing dance moves, doesn't he? The whole gig. He's one of the best stage performers unbelievable. ever. You know, he's like the perfect Frankenstein of your kind of Jimi Hendrix, James Brown, George Clinton, all these different famous just front men. Yeah. He's, he's just amazing live, you know, and he, he does call out that he takes a lot of inspiration from those people, especially James Brown in his performance. Incredible. And um, has to be mentioned, Sheila E., his MD, new MD, I believe, at this stage. Maybe. Yeah, so she was brought in for the Love Sexy Band after the revolution. After the revolution, yeah. Um, MD being? Musical director. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah. She is also the drummer in the band. Yeah. Um, but yeah, must mention, if you watch the live concert, this song, because obviously he even references, you know, drama, drama in this tune. Yeah, and she, she absolutely tears this song apart. She does, man. Like, yeah. I mean, they're a fantastic band. We'll, we'll probably call all of that out as we go through because mm -hmm. there's so much to say on mm -hmm. just how incredible that formation of the band are. Um, and so I have more to say about the time in that relationship, but I'll get to that after the next song, which is called Housequake. And it's worth noting that this was originally from the Camille album and ended up on Sign of the Times. So this is Housequake. 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 That was go. track three, Housequake. What a, what a flex I thought this was. After um, firing the, the revolution, he actually, again, played every, every instrument on the track. Instrument, yeah. And I was thinking, oh my God, like, you know, you know, you've just been sacked as the revolution. And you hear this and you're like, God, he can actually, uh, obviously he could play anyway, but this is, I thought the song was amazing. The groove on it was insane. There is a lot of that, obviously, of him recording and playing everything himself. But for, for that, uh, that reason aside, this sounds quite live all of the songs on, on this yeah. album sound live which yeah. is this, this album is, is in, in my notes for this track this album is a performance album yeah the whole thing in my mind i just imagine the live performance of it which is probably why they made the yeah. whole live concert film it might as well be yeah it might as well be but it's, it's amazing like i thought you know susan rogers uh who was his sound engineer for this album and i think for a few for, albums for, right? for a lot yeah for yeah. a lot of them She's um, one of my personal heroes after researching this She's amazing, isn't she? Um, she said about this song, she said, um, it came at a time when there were other changes in his, in his life, his musical instruments, his style, his colors, and the people around him were evolving. It's only my guess, but I think Housequake represented a new idea in dance music for him. 
such such a good tune and like the the bass uh, the, sorry the brass lines sick are insane they've got so many like rick james and james brown vibes and it's all very kind of yeah just funky man it's so funny. james brown in that the way he controls the band all of the like, yeah he calls them all out i feel like even we'll though get, it's him <laughs> yeah yeah and he does literally those um like james brown would always famously include calls to the band in his lyric like he was making it up on the spot and in this like especially in the chorus it changes in each chorus he says and the saxophone is the fault check it out and the saxophone will do a lick and in the second chorus he goes and the kick drum is the fault and the, and the kick drum will play and it's like he's doing that controlling the the band and like in the outro of the song he goes we're on the two y'all the drummer's gonna tap now james brown if you listen to any um interview with bootsy collins talking about how james was it's bootsy baby bootsy baby <laughs> and um <laughs> he would always say that james brown was always on the one he'd be like as long as the beats on the one i can i can work it just everything has to be on the one and when you listen to his music it's all on the one if you count the one you've got it and he says we're on the two y'all it's like he's almost addressing how james brown he's being but cool. saying whereas james brown was on the one me and my band That's are on the cool. two and it's really cool man well this made me realize is that I struggle most with the songs that sound like they're from this era on this album. So yeah. this, this sounds like it's from them. Yeah. The samples and like the horn stabs and stuff. Yeah. They sound like this era. And I think I, I actually struggle a bit with that. Not to say I didn't enjoy it, but mm -hmm. um, this, this, people love this. Like this gets a great reception. This could be, be in my top three songs on the album. Is it? Yeah. Like I'm a massive kind of Rick James fan and all that funk, like real funk and James Brown is a massive, massive um I'm a massive fan of his. Yeah, you used to go up with the Crushed Velvet on down to the club. Yeah, yeah, um, basically down to the Tesco's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used yeah. to put uh, all that on. I used to have my hair in a curl. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. you, yeah? <laughs> exactly, that's me. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's not bad yeah, for a first once, attempt. Bloody good one, bud. Wow. How's that? Get in, boy. <laughs> pretty good, man. <laughs> um, Let me just do one more um, thing with, with Daphne, who I... Uh, mentioned before i'm calling her daphne as if i know her but i just need to get her with your mate daphne <laughs> daphne brooks again um because she she just um sums up a little bit about the camille persona yeah um, so obviously he, he he took this on like i think camille would have been you know another eight songs um for the album so he took that on wholeheartedly i think it even got pressed i think all of those a hundred copies got pressed for yeah. promo yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Imagine what you can still find them and they are worth a fortune. Some of them have been auctioned off and it's, it's ridiculous. So she, she says, in terms of genealogy, you already, you already mentioned George Clinton anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, she says, this is sort of like, that persona is, is playing with like P-Funk, but through, she says, Afro-futuristic characters, through technical calibrations of vocals. So, you know, running that vocal through and, and speed shifting and things like that. And I'll say, I'll say it, um, it allows Prince to occupy an expansive, heterogeneous, polygender universe. Yeah. Um, so dealing with all types of sexuality and all and all gender. Um, yeah. That's what that's what he's tapping into. Yeah. The Camille persona is um, described in one of the tour brochures to be a boy. So he is. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. He is given a gender, and I didn't find that for ages. And then someone in a forum had given the entire. It was on the back of a tour program brochure. That I changes. <laughs> that changes everything. Yeah. And it talks. It basically is like a whole, almost a poem about describing Camille. Um, the way in which he got that sound was that he would slow down the recording. So he would record the instrument, slow it down, sing in his normal register over it, obviously in a different key, and then speed the whole thing back no up. And that way. would be that would how he'd get that Camille effect. And that was a persona that he would go into. Yeah, I wonder did. if he sped it up by the same amount every time. Do you think he, it, Camille as a artist was pitched at the same? Definitely, yeah. yeah. It was, he described oh, I it don't as, know. No, I, I, I don't know. Because I think he, 
he sounds more, I think it sounds more convincing later on in the album. Oh, possibly, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's all down to the tempo of the song. Like maybe it's only going to be half speed because of the tape. So maybe he could only do it, if the song was at 120, he could only half speed it to 60. So it would be slightly different, but um, he did describe Camille as an alter ego. But again, we take all of this for granted now. As we talk about all of this antiquated equipment, mm. I know what this that machine was called. It was called a Publison or Publison Infernal Machine. That's what it was called. The, the, Inferno. Infernal Machine. Infernal. In, an Infernal Machine. Kind of very French, but... Yeah. Can you say that again? Publison. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, bonjour to our like, French listeners. Like, <laughs> you've, bonjour. Uh, bonjour. You know, you said you went in and, and looked up the Starlight as well. We oui. These aren't like plugins on a, on a, on a program on a DAW. They're like things you got to wheel in, <laughs> like, <laughs> like like proper things. That, that, that Starlight is noisy as hell and it takes yeah. like probably 12-inch floppy disks or something. He would, he would leave <laughs> notes in the studio. So he would be in there working on writing a song and then would leave like a, a post-it note for Susan Rogers to then come in the next day. And it would be like, I want the piano setting up and I want this setting up. So he would write a song and then when he's coming in to record it the next day, she would have to have everything ready. So whereas nowadays it would be just a computer with some VST yeah. instruments, she would have to actively, and he would have to think in his head, what do I hear on this song and have it ready the next That's day. That's super cool. But I feel like the whole album in a sense as well, like he can, he's kind of done whatever he wants. I know he's connected to what's going on socially and everything, but I feel like he's just written an album exactly how he wanted to write an album. And you know, if he's in this bubble that he's created and I feel he just, he's got ultimate creative freedom to, to make these hugely contrasting tunes from all kind of different perspectives, all kind of different characters and alter egos. And Yeah, I mean, he had a good sense of freedom with his creativity. You know, the label tried to stick the hand in and he would always kind of bite it. We won't get into the whole Warner dispute because that happened a bit later and so we can you know that in itself could be an episode of just talking about his battle with warner records well shall we move on yeah let's go from one that i couldn't connect with okay in, into oh. one that maybe is my one of my favorites wow so this yeah can he's only gone said it yeah. all right well yeah. let's move on this is track four the ballad of dorothy parker oh yeah oh dorothy dorothy sound like a real man to me <laughs> not in Kansas anymore. Oh, oh, get out of it. Get out of it. Get out of it. Um, that was track four, The Ballad of Dorothy Parker. So Top, top three for me, that's oh, top three. Chris's top three. It is amazing, this tune. Um, interestingly enough, as you both know, he actually wrote the name Dorothy Parker into the song, but didn't know that it was an actual person or who she was. And famously, she was a mid-20th century writer, uh, famous for her wit. And it's kind of um, quite serendipitous that... Mm, I don't um, think he knew that, did he? At the no, he time. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That he actually, the the parts where he's um, talking as Dorothy, she's got some good wit about her in, in the lyrics. And it's yeah. just really... Happy accident. Happy accident. Indeed. Serendipitous. Happy yeah. little accident. Yeah. Happy little accident. Good word to bring in, serendipitous. Yeah. I was scared about saying that. <laughs> was you? Yeah. You smashed I've, that I've in one. I've been warming up all day. <laughs> in, in the mirror. Literally in the shower. In the shower this morning. <laughs> <laughs> what was it what was the word charlie serendipitous drank <laughs> um so i'm going to go through the story of um the recording of this one because it's quite interesting this was um something that was described by susan rogers 
If there's any kind of audio files or sound engineers listening, um, there's a kind of full story of this in technical detail on the Red Bull Music Academy, which I will add a link to in the show notes if you go to our website. It's um, really interesting. To nutshell it, there was a studio being designed um, in Prince's house and Susan was designing the whole thing. And at this point in the process, they were having the desk installed, which was going to be a custom built desk for the space. And it was, everything was supposed to be amazing. And Prince, the guy was still installing the desk and Prince was so eager to use it. He told the, um, told Susan to get rid of the guy who was installing it and just be like, that's, it's fine. Let's just go. I need to write. I need to work. So they put him on a plane and literally got rid of him. Prince immediately walks into the studio and starts um, recording the ballad of Dorothy Parker. And in the first playback, uh, Susan stood behind him listening to it. And she's like, oh shit, that literally has zero high end or anything. It's all just very boxy. And she's like, what? I hope he doesn't notice. And she's looking at Prince and he's jamming away. And he finishes writing the song and leaves happy as Larry and goes out the studio. And she's like, right, now's me time to investigate. And she looks into it and realizes the desk, one of the power supplies isn't working. So the desk is only at half power. And that's why this sound, this song has a kind of subdued, low dynamic range, not very high fidelity sound is because the desk was only at half power. He came down the next day and he said, this desk sounds a little bit dull, doesn't it? But I quite like it. And she was like, well, I got away with that one. Cause that's literally <laughs> like, you wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of him in that situation. If he just recorded this, if you want to get more into that, I will post the link. So I'm going to leave what a it story. just right there. Yeah. Imagine- she, 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 um, she explains that in voice as well on that podcast as well. Wait, oh good. really? Yeah. Yeah. It's good hearing. She's my hero, it. man. Like I really got into that whole down the rabbit hole of Susan Rogers and she's such an inspiration if you're into audio and all of that stuff. Imagine being that keen to get in and record something. Imagine being like, I can't wait. I think he's like, of all, you know, classic creative thing of like when the inspiration hits, there is no, you can't wait for it. You can't be like, okay, well, I'll get to that later. Like I think he, he'd written a song and was like, sorry, this has got to happen now or, or never, you know, like, like um, using the Flipping toilet. Cool. <laughs> 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 Oh. Well, I said this is my favorite song. Uh, one of my favorite songs. I don't think it is my favorite, but... Yeah, you said top three. Oof, uh, I just, I love the sound of it. I love how dry it is. So did he. Um, yeah, he clearly did. I love the subject matter as well. Um, I just, there's such funny, like Prince seems like he's a he's a witty old chap, you know? Like the stuff about him taking a bath, like <laughs> he gets invited uh, into the bath with Dorothy Parker. He's like... Cool, but I'm leaving my pants on because I'm going to go home with someone. So you imagine him with these leather, purple leather trousers yeah. on. He's there with his hair immaculate, with oh. his hairy chest and a pair of leather slacks on. I just love, yeah, I just love the whole subject of the song. I love the way it sounds. I think the drum sample or the, the drum rhythm that's been programmed is amazing. There's acoustic drums on this song and he plays them. He plays the drums in a lot of the songs, according to Susan Rogers, with no click track. Oh, she so mentions he just that. Plays. Yeah. He just plays. He sits down and plays. Imagine he just puts the lyrics in front of him and just plays what's in his brain with no click track and then builds the song around that. Right. So if you were ever trying to um, tap the tempo for these songs, I'm sure it'd probably be right on the nose, but it should be all over the place. Mm-hmm. What's good about this song as well is that it gets, it gives me a chance to talk about Joni Mitchell because Joni Mitchell comes up a lot um, in inspirations with both um, Prince and Wendy and Lisa as well. Um, and Again, through that podcast, um, it gave me a great opportunity to listen to a couple of songs that really sound like um, Joni Mitchell. The songs are called Visions and the other song is called Colours. It sounds like Hey Jira era uh, Joni Mitchell, which has got Jaco Pistorius on it. So it's got that, you'd know, Charlie. Um, So we're talking fretless bass, real jazz influence, lots of weird um, clashing chords and stuff like that. There's some amazing stuff 
on the reissue that occurs there, but we're not really talking about that. Um, but um, Joni comes up a lot, and the reason I'm talking about it is because she's mentioned in this song. The line is, and it was Joni singing, Help Me, I'm Falling. What's amazing about that is, the way he sings that is exactly the way that Joni Mitchell sings Help Me in, in her song, Help Me. It's like... Yeah, for anyone it, who hasn't heard that song, we'll add it to the playlist for this episode. It's, it's, so, it's so clever, and like the whole instrumentation and like the major minor thing switches up. It goes into a completely different feel to talk about imagining hearing this uh, Joni Mitchell uh, song while in this the song itself. It's like this diegetic sort of... Yeah, it's um, a story within a story, isn't yeah. it? It's really good. Yeah, very, dia, very cool. Diagenetic, is it? Or dia... Well, I said diagetic, and diagetic. I'm pretty sure I was right the first time yeah. around. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. I'm <laughs> no, saying, I might be wrong. I'm joking. But I'm that is wrong. the word for story within a story, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah. Uh, give me on. <clears throat> Serendipodos. <laughs> 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 um, to go back to your, um, your pants in the bath quote. Yeah. Um, in verse five, it actually gets good because he says, my pants were wet, they came off. She didn't see the movie because she hadn't read the book first. I know, first, I know. Which is such an impeccable metaphor, man. He's, he's a legend for that. Oh, she hadn't read the book first. Talking yeah. about my dick. Talking about my wiener. Japers. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, yeah, uh, flawless, that song for me. I just It makes me smile every time I hear that song. It is great. It's not one of my favorites, but it's undeniably a, a great song. Um, everyone good on that one? Indeed. I reckon so. Already. This is track five, It. That was track five, It. For any budding producers out there, I reckon, and correct me if I'm wrong, anyone, please. I think that the kind of stabs in this song were on a Roland JV 1080, which I did have a kind of software version of that I was playing with. Um, so that's why I think it's that. Not having that. Did you play on this, Carl? Yeah, th this was actually me. On, uh, flying under a pseudonym, oh. of course. Remember I told you about me with the curl in Tesco's getting the hummus? Oh, of course. <laughs> it was oh, that, second see. then for me. Lovely, lovely string stabs, mate. Thanks. Really mate. lovely yeah, playing yeah. on this. Yeah, yeah. They really lifted the track. There. Yeah, if anyone wants to watch my masterclass that I haven't made and how I recorded on this song, please um, get in touch with my PayPal details. <laughs> so this song's about getting it on, isn't it, really? That's pretty much all I've got to say is it's about getting it on. It's getting it, getting it, getting it on. <laughs> Jeepers. Um, the vocals are super varied in the production, I thought. If you yeah. actually, um, I was like, wow. It, I was like, wow. Uh, that <laughs> was, was probably, weird, wasn't it? He was probably making love while he was recording it. Yeah. So he was like, well, I can't get that close to the mic because I'm too busy. It's just making funny. This like, I think that um, when you're making an album, when you're mixing and mastering it, you probably, I think nowadays there might be a present and where you set the vocal above the instrumentation and i feel like this is just not taking that at all it's just super buried within there his vocal performance is amazing in this i think and, and it's a shame that it is quite buried it's the um the saving grace for me on this because i i can't mm. get on board with this song this mm. song i found really really difficult it's probably the song that i would skip yeah um it unless it was valentine's day well yeah no i don't know it sounds like <laughs> controversial it, it sounds like if if it sounds like if you get into to bed at the end of the night on Valentine's Day and you put this on, it's going to be a really angry session. <laughs> more yeah. than one of those, yeah, probably. Yeah, 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 maybe. Um, but it it doesn't for me. It's it sounds really un, like unresolved. It doesn't sound like it's in a comfortable area. And those those stabs, there's something in me viscerally that has a real aversion to that one sound. It Sorry, does, Carl. It non, reminds non, non me. Non taken. Any um N64 owners back mm. when that was a thing. 
Mario 64, I'm sure. Oh had, my God, yeah. Had, do you know what I'm, do you know, there was like a, like an, a, if you got um, attacked by someone or, or something. It would make that stream yeah. noise. And and then one of those big block things would go, like <laughs> this, yeah, there's just a real, what did they do that, right? <laughs> yeah. There's just a real aversion in this song. My it, brain just can't get it. It's so funny you say that and you're talking about his vocal performance and how good it was, mm. but it's buried. Um, I was thinking that obviously the lyrics are pretty clear, you know, what the song's about, but because of the way it's delivered, I couldn't help but feel it probably is coupled with like a darker um, side to it. There's, there, I feel like there must be a darker side to this song from his delivery and yeah, the way he delivers his vocals. I was, that's what I took out of it anyway. Yeah. He, I mean, he embodies so many different characters in his writing and his performance that this can be, delivered as a kind of song about just having sex, but it's quite lustful and almost yeah. like deviant in, yes. in the way that it is. It's, it's very seductive in a borderline too much way. So maybe, maybe it was some of that. That being, could... that being said, if you think about a color that this song sounds like. Yeah. So all right, we'll say it on, we'll say it on, uh, we'll go three, two, one and we'll say it. All right. Ready? Three, two, one. Purple. purple. What, what did, did you say? say? I went for purple as well. It's a purple song. It's a purple song, dumbass. Orange. I've got orange, yeah, yeah. What are you doing on Valentine's Day listening to this song? Eating orange? Is, is it, you eat oranges? Isn't that what you do? Terry chocolate oranges. That was like half-time oranges <laughs> during the session? No. Purple and orange, that would do. Maybe we should bed, Dior. Purple and orange. You just proposition me. Yeah. On air. Yeah. Maybe we should bed. <laughs> is, that, is that how you ask? Fucking <laughs> oh, no. no, I prefer Ooh. to mate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's enough of that. Let's move on. Uh, this is track six, Starfish and Coffee. Starfish and Coffee. Maple syrup and jam. Butterscotch clouds and tangerine. The side of a ham. If you set your mind free, baby. Oh. All right. <laughs> okay. That was track six, Starfish and Coffee. What do you think then? I love it, man. I think it's really fun. He talks about food on this album quite a few times, like laying his orders down. Um, but yeah, this song has an awesome backstory, man. I love um, what this one's all about. I'll take it if you Will want. you do it for us, Chris? Yeah. Um, so um, this is about a real person, apparently, uh, Cynthia Rose. That's her name as well. The, yep. the name remained. Don't wear it out. <laughs> That's what she was like. She says that later on in the song. Uh, Cynthia Rose was a real person that uh, Susanna Melvoin went to school with, apparently. She described in the podcast, um, she described her as being an autistic savant, actually. Yeah, I assumed um, as much. I didn't listen to the mm, podcast, but I assumed as much. So incredibly smart, incredibly interesting. Favorite number was 12, I think. And she would always ask what her favorite number was and uh, be surprised when people realized it was 12 because she had a real obsession with the number 12. She did. However, that does change in the song. Does it? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. In verse one, she says her favorite, well, the song itself says her favorite number was 20. Oh yeah, it does. And what it is, is that on the way to school one day, Susanna was sat on the bus away from Cynthia and Cynthia kind of lived in her own world and didn't really interface with the outside world too much. And she turned around to Susanna and said, do you want to know something special? And Susanna was really excited. So she waited for Cynthia off the bus and she came out and said, want to know what my favorite number is? And it was always historically 12. So she was like, 12. She was like, nope. 20 and then just walked off amazing. so it, it amazing. changed to 20 there you go anyway P carry on pulled that pulled that rug out um the, so the starfish and coffee the the title of that is about what cynthia rose ate for breakfast hang on um, hang on chris hang on what how old is she in this i think she's in sixth grade so the little, 11 this this young girl is uh slamming espressos before school 
That's what she's doing. Oh, yeah, of course she is. Oh, it's America. They probably drink coffee out there all the time, don't they? Starfish and coffee. Um, it was, yeah, it wasn't starfish and coffee. It was starfish and pee-pee, which no one seems to know what pee-pee is. Mm. Anyway, that I've found. Um, oh. I mean... Pee-pee is urine. Yeah, but she's, you know... Who says urine, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> I was going, what did you say? Pee? You can't say pee. Oh, yeah. it's pee-pee. No, you say we, no, isn't it? Piss, we. What I mean is... This, the the way that she would have said it doesn't mean that she's had starfish. So starfish, I can assume, is some product or something. Mm. Um, and then the PP element probably isn't PP. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's supposed to be good for you. What do I know? You know, maybe keep, keep it in the fridge. Maybe she lives in a desert. Keep it in the fridge. Take the edge off. You know, yeah. <laughs> Does that take the edge off? Is that a well? Probably. You mean you, well? No, you know. <laughs> Yes, I drink my own piss. Whatever. All right, fine. We'll leave <laughs> Get to the bottom of that. Carry on. Anyway, so Susanna brings this into the studio. Well, no, no. Prince asks her about this story um, because it's something that they would always uh, talk about. Ask her to write it down. He takes it away. Modif- just asks if she can modify, uh, if he can modify the starfish and pee pee into starfish and coffee. Comes back with this one, like a, probably like a day later. Yeah, it's probably about a couple of hours. He was yeah. like, listen, love, you put the kettle on and by yeah. the time you've made that, make us a plate of starfish and pee pee and by the time I get <laughs> yeah. there, I'm going to have you a track. Yeah, and um, and that's and that's how it was. And yeah, she's... Uh, she knew about the song, um, apparently, um, and I'm sure would have been very flattered. Yeah, I mean, better than Starfish and Pee at least yeah, they gave her that. Is, um, yeah. And it's worth mentioning that Susanna did get a writing credit on this song. Yeah, she did. There's not there's not very many credits on this song. Not many very people who get a credit at all yeah. out of Prince, but yeah, she yeah. got one for this, um, which makes total sense. Yeah. But what a cool um, insight into this little girl who didn't really, who would never have had a clue that just being the way she was and just being so kind of beautifully out there as yeah. a person would eventually turn into a Prince song. It's yeah. so mad. amazing. And written so naively as well, almost like that very mm. simple, yeah. uh, simple piano line and stuff. The piano line weirdly reminds me of um, hit me baby one more time. Don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think the sound must be the same. <laughs> I don't no idea why. I mean, Britney's in the news um, at the moment anyway. So, you know, go and, go and do your bit with that anyway. Um, I wish I had a it's Britney bitch sample. Yeah, mm. it is Britney bitch. And uh, sorry, Chris, you go. Oh, no, you go. Oh, oh move. sorry, mate. Oh, I was going to completely change the subject. Oh, excellent. I can't chew, bro. <laughs> I was bored of you, boy. Um, uh, no, I was just, just going to say, um, like we we mentioned before, that it, it, it sounds fun, childlike. Uh, yeah. Not silly, but um, nursery rhyme-like. Mm-hmm. Imagine um, if this was a B-side to uh, play in the sunshine. <laughs> well, no, that's what I mean. That's, yeah, they're, they're, they're the same. They're cut from the same cloth for yeah. me. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I imagine having the power, mus- musically and and songwriter wise, to just hear a story like that and be like, not just go, oh, it's a great story. I'm going to remember that forever. But I'm just going to nip downstairs and make a banger that's going to be on one of yeah. my biggest yeah. albums ever. And you know, your your hero, Susan. Yeah, she she says that Prince is so good at turning life into music mm-hmm. rather than trying to reshape life so that it would serve his music. Yeah. So, so instead of literal, yeah. Translations. So instead of instead of making. Um, Instead of making something interesting enough to write a song about, he could make it the music itself interesting enough. Yeah, to 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 exist as a song. Yeah, the, the music almost punctuates the lyric in all yeah. the songs, especially yeah. like you know to fly back to Sign of the Times. There's a moment in that where he talks about um, the the hurricane ripping off the church, and at the very end of that line, there's church bells in the song. Right, he he, right. Really, he punctuates his lyric with with music and instruments. Ten, ten points to anyone um, that can name the term for that. For what? When music reflects lyrics. Serendipitous. No. Ooh. Fun, this is one of yours, man. I learned this from you. If it's if it's onomatopoeic. No. Pro- you learned it from me. Prosody. 
I've never ever said that word in my life. Yes, you are. Prosody. Doing my head in. That doesn't okay, even, so that's, even, that's not even a word. Basically, prosody means when musically the music reflects exactly what the lyrics. So, if for example the melody is going up in pitch, the chords will go up. The register oh. as well. So it's called prosody. So Get whatever on. the music is doing. Whatever the lyrics are doing, the music follows and vice versa. Right. Wow. Cool and there's a lot of it in this record. I tell you what, I mean, that couldn't have gone any better in terms of flow and of God, God, my use- did you Did you make that up then? Did you, did you give him that? Never heard that in my life. Before. My useless facts have gone out the window. Welcome <laughs> to really, really good facts. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, on that absolute bombshell. I've got one more for you. Oh, go on, mate. Go on. Shortest song on the record. Oh, he's oh, no, ruined let's everything. Get out of here. This, Grab this, the this, this is track seven, Slow Love. That was uh, track seven, Slow Love. Um, boys, if you don't mind, I'm just going to take this moment to address my future wife. Um, if you're out there, I haven't met you yet. But if you're listening right now, this is going to be our wedding song, baby. Wow. No, no. Is, is. I'm going to dance my first you dance to this. You can't put that on the dance floor with all your family and stuff watching. Yeah, no, I can. And I'm going to be wearing, I'm going to bring the cowl back and the crushed velvet suit. I'm going to be that man. It's going to be, there's going to be smoke. It's going to be choreographed. It's going to be the most awkward first dance ever. That makes no sense. Why are you wearing clothes while listening to this song? <laughs> Wait, but you just told us to take all our clothes off now. Sorry, I asked you to both give me a second while I dress <laughs> me future wife. I, that bit's over now, so please leave that memory. If you're out there, my love, get in touch. Leave us a comment. Don't forget to subscribe and join the Patreon, and we'll uh, I'll find you one day. Do you want me to unfilthy the minds of our listeners? Uh, yeah. There's one thing we missed. It, when? No, before. The best thing about the entire albums, the thing about Starfish and Coffee. Oh, go on. <sighs> I apologize to the ghost of Jim Henson. Oh, yeah. Oh. Starfish and Coffee features on The Muppet Show. Yep. Yeah. Was <sighs> it called The so Muppet good. Show? Well, there was The Muppet Show. <laughs> the Muppet. And uh, oh, there Muppet. was Sesame Street, but it looked like it was The Muppet Show. And it's uh, it's amazing watching uh, Prince jam out with all it's these incredible. little... incredible. <laughs> We just just tell everyone that we had to cut that because of the um, the, the tandem words. With we just had to cut that because me and yeah. it was too funny f- that Chris oh. and, Chris and Charlie both said incredible at the exact same time. We yeah. both said incredible, incredible at the same time. Uh, there we go. It's funny. Um, what I was going to say is that the video reminded me of Space Jam, which is a weird shout, but it had just similar vibes for me. I I don't know why, but it um, transported I mean, you've me got, to a, um, a happy you've, place. You've got the You've got the music in you. Music in you. You've got the cartoon characters in that's Space prob- Jam. That's probably it. <laughs> and then you've got Prince bumping around with some mops dressed up as thing. There's a great bit when uh, little what's the what's the rat called in the Muppets? Um, uh, is it Rizzo? Rizzo the rat. Let's, <laughs> he, let's go with he goes to talk to Prince because Prince is the artist formerly known as Prince at this stage. He's like, yeah, 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 but, but, and he's about to say Prince. And he, instead, he turns around, he's got a post-it note of, uh, of, of uh, Prince's sign on the back. Oh, that's amazing. Rizzo, man. Oh, he's so funny. Talking of, um, of Space Jam and basketball, have you ever seen the Dave Chappelle, the Chappelle show sketch of yes. Prince? And he's like, um, I think it's Charlie Murphy and he's around a Prince's house and he challenges him to like a game of basketball. He's like, your oh. best guys against my best guys. 
And Prince, come, like, they all get, like, the full gear on, like, he's basketball like, clothes. He's like, we should be playing shirts and bra- blouses. Shirts and blouses, <laughs> yeah. And Prince's guys, like, all come down, and it's, like, Prince in a full crush velvet suit with big heels on, and they absolutely ruin them. It's great. Should watch it, man. <laughs> slow Anyone love. Slow love, that, everyone. Anyway, slow love. Slow love, yeah. Back to slow love. This is one of your jams, isn't it, though? Seriously, Carl. Seriously, man. This is one of my jams. It really is. It's It's... I love it. I mean, the horns in this song as well. Yeah, the sax is insane. Like saxophone player Eric Leeds and trumpet player Matt Atlanta Bliss Bliston um, to throughout the whole album. Amazing. And in the live show, in the live um, concert film, just absolute heroes, man. It's so good. Another change in direction, isn't it? This, this song. It is, but it's not a change in direction in the grand scheme of Prince. He was so good at these kind of love ballads. Um, In an interview with Matt Bliston, the um, trumpet player, he describes how like when... Um, because Prince played every instrument, but he couldn't play brass. So when they would come into the studio, he would make the noises that he wanted with his mouth and they would just put it down. They were, they were played on the instruments. It was so, so amazing. Um, the song is credited. There's an interesting kind of story behind this in the whole Carol Davis, um, situation with it her being on the track. So this song is listed in the credits to have been co-written with Carol Davis. Something that I, I have an unofficial statement that says that this song was entirely written by Carol Davis. She wrote the song and it's rumored that Prince wanted to buy it from her. He offered her $25,000-ish for the track, which she declined. And basically he instead offered her a 50% share of the writing instead. And that was kind of a rumor. But what I did look at was Carol did record a second version, her own version of the song. And in that, in the writing credit, it's just credited to her. So if she did co-write it 50-50 with Prince, she would have to list him as the co-writer on her version as well, regardless of who played on the track. So that kind of leads into that rumor, which is an interesting one. Ooh. So crediting is an interesting thing on the album anyway, um, because Eric Leeds says that Wendy and Lisa, even though they're not credited on anything, and write, writing-wise, he said that they're, they're probably due some of that as well, you know, before the revolution uh, was disbanded mm-hmm. and dissolved. I know that when the album came out and, and they were only listed in the credits as a thank you, basically, mm-hmm. they were completely devastated by that. They were they're just listed uh, Wendy and Lisa, uh, thanks to Wendy and Lisa, you know, buried yeah. within the rest. Some of these songs were written at the time for the Dream Factory album, which was a, a revolution album. Prince did actively try to mix out a lot of Wendy and Lisa's parts yeah, in the songs. Right. Yeah, This song... Um, I, I was going to mention earlier, actually, um, but we sort of went off on a tangent. But Prince did love working at Sunset Sound before Gelpin Road Studios was uh, born and operational. Mm-hmm. And again, we take for granted these things, but when they were collaborating across large distances, the whole reel would have to go in a hat box and be flown over to uh, to whoever's collaborating. If only the postman knew. Oh, it's, can you imagine? Like, Absolutely you mad. If you, like, I mean, call me bad-minded, but if I was a postman arriving at Prince's studio yeah, to do yeah, a pickup yeah. and you got the masters, you'd yeah. be like, yeah. this is guaranteed to be something mental. You'd have to like maybe send it to a friend's house and then post it from there. But also he did it with spare ribs as well. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't always to say, I got one from Prince. What was it? Oh, it's, oh, it's a spare rib no, again. Spare. He's a de- sell it's a, that. The decoy rib. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But the... Prince in the studio, I'd have loved to have seen anyway. Like, there's all these stories about, like, get a bed flown in instead yeah. of sitting instead oh. of sitting on the sofa or anything. Yeah, he was just, what? he was the absolute diva. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But, but this, yeah. this, this song is, um, it's such a great slow jam. In the, it's it, is. Like, it is. It you is. forget, like, you know, you've got these ideas of, of what slow jams are and where they came from and where they belong. But 
there's a couple on this album that are just just so inherently sexy really yeah and that's the most unsexy thing that i've ever said but it is that you know it's <laughs> I'm for sorry, any female listeners, so Chris listening, or male for that matter. Um, there you go. That's uh, that's crispy and that's, sexy as ever. That's this me is, in a nutshell. <laughs> this is track eight, hot thing. Hot thing, baby, you dance so good. Hot thing, baby, I knew you would. Hot thing, tell me what you see. Fuck off. What was that? <laughs> it's me mixing. Is that you doing <laughs> it's it? It's me mixing. <laughs> God, that's so good. It's right in it. Bloody hell, give us one more, mate. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> God, mate. All right. Well, Juicy. That caught me off guard. Um, uh, that I, was, was in, I was in the revolution, but I got sacked off. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. I replaced you with me stabs. Um, <laughs> th- that was track eight, hot thing. Shall I, can I just take, uh, can I just say something that's probably going to piss every Prince fan off? Go on. Actually, I probably shouldn't, but when I first heard this, I was like, it sounds like a 90s TV show intro. Like Biker Grove or something. And I was like, here we go. <laughs> something that could be on the Earthworm Jim soundtrack. Yeah. There's yeah. I I get that though. I get all of that, um, all of those video game vibes. Like yeah, it's at the end of this. Do you know what I wrote down? Do you ever play the um the game Road Rash? No. Road Rash is like a a, a motor biking game where you race in a on a on a bike in a race and knock them off like beat up your opponents oh, with, a, cha- with a chain and with a bat and stuff. I did wow. play that. that well, the- man, you've just unlocked a memory in my brain. That, oh my God. The bass in this, at the, like, especially at the end where, where you've got that sort of like slap bass, it's, it's, it's road rash to a T. Such a funky bass line. Um, I don't know if it's programmed or played, but I mean, in the so, live it show. It sounds programmed, but. It does, but in, in the live concert film, you know, it's played and it's just. Did uh, you watch that in the, well, obviously you watched the whole thing, but this performance in the live concert film is amazing i mean prince is like i mean so many things happen but yeah it's brilliant man it's so promiscuous isn't it yeah um the, well, you've got cat just giving it loads at the start like she's like cat as well um the funniest move i thought in the the whole video is when uh she licks the microphone stand really oh, and, great, I, and yeah. I was just thinking like oh my god i can't think of anything worse than going in like a sweat, <laughs> sweaty old venue and licking one of the mic stands in there that's probably been knocking around in sound engineer's hands for like 50 years it's probably safe to say that on that production they might have had a new set of mic stands every single day man i'd like to know that carl i will i'll find out um also on the subject cat in um well cat and prince in the concert film when they play housequake there's this moment where it's like the aftershock and cat is like gyrating around the back of the stage and she gets to one end of the stage and like prince is looking around for her and then from nowhere he's in the middle of the stage and she moves over to the left of the stage and from nowhere, he just comes sliding in on his back, like grinding <laughs> in from, from the complete side of the stage. It's such a weird cut, but it's one of the funniest bits of the whole thing if you watch it. Oh, uh, Kat Glover, for those who don't know, because I don't think we uh, addressed it just then, she's uh, like the onstage. She's the dancer on stage, um, does some of the acting uh, within that Sign of the Times video. Yeah, she kind of choreographs all the dancing yeah. that goes on. Yeah, Is she's, she um, actually singing BVs as well? She's doing the hype. She kind yeah. of she does sing a bit of BVs, but she's more just like getting the crowd going. And, and Yeah, not sure she's credited as a backing vocalist on the album. Not sure. Hmm. Might be wrong. No, I don't um, think so. But she's also the person who is on the Sign of the Times single. Um, she's holding a big heart in front of her face. And a uh, really funny story about that is that, and I, I love imagining this, is that after she just joined prince and this became her role um she was called by prince's dad 
Right. And she was like, uh, and he was like, uh, Kat, please tell me that's you and not my son on the front. <laughs> it, was, it was a whole thing. Like, because, because I think my son's gone too far. <laughs> it was a whole conspiracy by the entire fan base that that was him in, in, yeah. in drag. At the, yeah. yeah. I mean, and he's got the body for him, man, as well. He's, it could yeah. easily be him. Oh, I'd love a, Imagine a body like that. Yeah. I mean, he was like, he would have had to share because he's got a hairy chest, man. He's like, yeah. He's a grizzly dude. Anyway, um, a lyric I did pull from this, which is an interesting anecdotal thing. In verse three, you've got hot thing. Maybe you should give your folks a call. Hot thing. Tell them that you go into the crystal ball, which is a callback to crystal ball, which is yeah, the original yeah. kind of three album, a uh, three disc album, triple album that he pitched to Warner. So that was, this song was obviously written in that period when that mm -hmm. was a thing. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, all of that stuff to one side, let's yeah, move on to track nine, which is called forever in my life. Track nine, Forever In My Life. That's a weird sounding song though, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Production wise. Everything about it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was, it's probably my least favorite on the record. Is it? Yeah. Now, I will take that comment and yeah. I will tell you to Do go one. and look up the, no, to look up the, um, the reissue and go and find the other version of it where there is more acoustic guitar on it like there is on the um, live version mm -hmm. that's on the Sign of the Times uh, concert film. And to hear where the backing vocals are supposed to be, because I don't think either of you know that, that those backing vocals, through a mistake in the studio, are a whole line in front. Is that what it is? Yeah. No and it sounds way. so weird and so uneasy because it, they're, they're not in the right place. Right, because I wow. thought that it was done on purpose and it was almost like singing in the round where one line yeah. is sung before yeah. and then the next one and it all kind of makes sense. No, nah, nah, it's, it's in the wrong place, that's why. Wow, and you just kept it. And they kept it, <laughs> yeah. Wow. If you listen to the other version, it's the other version is really sweet. It's almost like a Beatles song. It's, it's like a Paul McCartney thing. Well, that's yeah, second, I reckon that would make all the difference. If yeah, honest. but that's the second happy mistake on the album, assuming Dorothy Parker was a happy mistake because yeah. he kept that mistake. Yeah. Yeah, because the acoustic guitar features literally in the last like four yeah, bars. Yeah, another, of this song, another right? weird thing just to mm. to put just on to the put end. In, yeah, and but, in the show, in the live concert show, he's there with the acoustic kind of on his back, pulls it out at the end, plays literally two bars on it, and then that's it. It's gone. Yeah. It's like man. Yeah, no, the whole the whole song is completely different when you hear the scrapped version. Mm. And again, that's his decision to to do that. Like that thing existed, and it wasn't put on the album. It was put put on the album like this for a reason. Yeah, he's playing with all this this sparseness, and I think some of this is like is um, him. Tr I don't know if he was how he felt about hip hop. I think he was um, quite shocked and surprised by when hip hop and and um, rap became um, started entering the, the the lexicon in the mainstream, mm -hmm. and maybe felt quite um, at risk. Because of that, I think. Yeah. And he and he says um, something, I haven't got the actual quote, but he says something about like the future of music becoming just uh, bass, drums and vocals. And I think some of this is a, is a um, conceited effort to, to address those things. Be like, look, I could make this sweet, sugary song, but this has happened. Like, you know, the, the vocals are in the wrong spot, but what happens if we just like embrace it like that? It's hard for me. It makes the backing vocals sound particularly bare. Well, yeah. they have like zero reverb on yeah. them as well. Yeah. It's really dry. They're so dry. But I, I loved it. I loved that it's quite awkward and quite, it takes you off guard, but I really, I really like the way they are. I, yeah. I saw that as a creative choice and was, I, and enjoyed it. 
Yeah. It's 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 certainly bucking the norm. Like yeah. But again, who else is going to do it but Prince? Like, if anyone's going to hear something and be like, "That's completely wrong," let's roll with it. Yeah, that's like that again. Just shows, you know, for a major label artist to have such creative freedom to just be like, "Ah, it's wrong," but kind of like it. Stick it out and see if the kids like it. But when you hear it, you're like, "Fuck!" You just that's that's like a really pleasing, easy song that you've just thrown away. That would have been like, yeah, people would. I need to hear that other version. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, like you know, Prince does this all the time especially in this album, there's moments where there's a line or something and you're like, that is such a, like the, the, the hook in this, like, da, 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 da. that's such a, a hook. Mm-hmm. He, could have, he could have laid that into every instrument and that become almost the focus of the song. Could have been a massive, yeah, kind of pop and it single. wasn't, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, fucking hell. Like, that's Prince for you, man. Yeah. Um, anyone who does want to hear that version, if you forget about it, don't forget that we'll make a playlist of all the songs we reference in yeah, the I'll show. Yeah, I'll make sure it's in there. That and that'll go into the show notes. If you go to our website, you'll find it. And what's the website, Carl? The website is www.tracks.show. If you go there, you'll find a link to the episode, which will take you to our actual website, which will have all the show notes, all the different stuff that we talk about linked in there. You want me to give you some shit trivia? Shivia. Yeah, of course. This is JFK Jr.'s first dance song. Is it? Oh, that for shit trivia. And I can only assume it's that version too. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I know that's a. I mean, you wouldn't have gone for that, would you? Absolutely. No, I would have gone for slow. If, again, if you're listening, please just call me, please. Something. Um, <laughs> give him a break. Just give me anything. All right, this is track 10. You got the look. You have. Track 10, You Got the Look. With our Sheena Easton. Sheena Easton Indeed. got to number two in the US charts. Was a pretty big one for this album. She's got an amazing voice, hasn't she? She does, man. It's a great duet. And the video is really cool as well. Wasn't supposed to be a duet, though? No, no. She just came in to do backing vocals, right? And then he kind of liked the vibe they had, which was an awkward one, and it became a duet. <laughs> turn an awkward vibe into, into a hit song. Prince, <laughs> yeah. turn an awkward backing vocal into a song. You know, that's, that's He wrote a few songs for her, right? Before this, before... She actually, I don't actually know. I don't either. But I he think wrote this is true. I wish I, could, I wish I could back that up with the, actually what songs they were. But I believe the Prince wrote at least one song for her before she came into the studio. Hence why she came into the studio in the first place. Okay. Right. Okay. Because I, I think this one was a Sunset Studios recording and she was recording in a different room. And the engineer at the time, and I forget his name, um, was looking after both sessions. And I think he was in the studio with Prince and was like, listen, does this other girl in this room do so sessions? Shall I throw my concept out the flipping window? Uh, no, no, bring it in. That, that was my concept. Oh, no, no, that, that could be, you know, it, they both could be true. I don't know. I don't even know the guy's name, so I could just be making this up on the spot. But as I, as it was led to, as I was led to believe, it was a, um, the engineer that kind of recommended this. That makes more sense. In. But who knows, man? Who knows? I, I can't tell if I really knew this song a lot from back in you know in my mind from being a kid or something or if it was new i, I mean, it has weird, a familiarity to it does it. yeah it? It, it really does and I, I you know if it was a if it was a hit then i guess it was a hit so yeah it really reminds me of um well it doesn't really remind me of it but it gives me um billy ocean get out of my dreams vibe in the way it's put together i think get out of my dreams was recorded in 87 and came out in 88 so very similar timeline so who knows 
who's inspired who, but, um, and if that happened at all. But yeah, that's one that I'll put in the playlist for this one. Definitely has a Prince sound for me though. There's, there's a, a moment on it, on this song, that, um, that lead guitar, and probably with keyboards. I think he always tracked guitar solos with keyboards alongside it as well. Um, I, don't, I couldn't find out too much about his recording, actual recording process. There's not too much on it, as far as I can tell, mm. especially with recording guitars and stuff. I had yeah. this discussion at home with one of my housemates, Matt. He he was asking about whether or not he plugged, if he's a sort of a straight into the desk person instead of through amps. And I think he does do that. I found a, a just a short bit in an article, but the way he does um, uh, track things and record things is is always uh, is always quite interesting. And that sound again is another thing. It's like that sounds so Prince that I. I don't know where else it could appear in, in who else is. Maybe it could in something like Funkadelic or, or something mm. like that. But um, it was, yeah, undeniably Prince. Yeah, it is. And <clears throat> this was a kind of, he, he has an interesting reference in the first verse where he says, one of the lines is, color you peach and black. At this point, this album signified a change in look, if you will. Everything up to this point was the whole purple. Everything was purple. He was the the, the purple prince and all that. And um this was a kind of signified moment where he changed that. And he, it, I did read somewhere that he, when the tour was announced for this album, the dress code was peach and black for the audience. He wanted everyone to kind of turn up mm, in, in that yeah. dress code and stuff. Interesting. But not, doc, not Dr. Fink, the keyboard player. Dr. Fink will be dressed as a doctor as always. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. If you watch the, uh, again, the, the live, con I mean, anyone who hasn't seen the live concert film of this and is a fan of the album, go watch it because this album completely came to life for me when I had it, when I watched that performance, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just amazing. It's so well done and so well put together. It didn't all happen live. It was a, I think they wanted to originally do it live. And Chris told me earlier um, that the reason they didn't do that was because the footage was too grainy from the tour. Mm -hmm. So they kind of reproduced the whole I, I thing. I think apparently as well, he wasn't happy with some of the audio. Some of some of the parts went to his. Yeah. Like, a load of it's overdubbed as well. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe the, the recording was done. The live recording was done in a live environment, but the video itself is from, I assume hundreds of takes and yeah. the best bits were cut together. So it doesn't always line up perfectly, but that wouldn't make it as good. You mm -hmm. know? This song itself, there was um, apparently uh, a lot slower. This was um, something that Prince worked on a lot. He wouldn't normally do that. Um, again, this is to as told by Susan uh, Rogers again, um, that he would normally work on, an, uh, on a song a lot. He would normally shelve it, but he worked and worked and worked on this and transitioned this, this into a much faster song. The drums are just sped up. Uh, that's why they're in, they're higher than they would uh, normally be, and it became this. It's, it's, it's like a really energetic pop monster, really, yeah. This yeah. Song, isn't it? To that's imagine like someone like Prince, who is notorious at shelving songs and and the the vault being so full of songs that would never see the light of day. To imagine a song like this, something that was so successful for him, to have never seen the light of day if he just didn't, if he was just in a different mood that day, is, yeah. is mad. I assume this is the last song that was written for the album because this is the only song that doesn't appear on. Uh, crystal ball yeah so this is Ooh. the only this is the only new song written for this for sign of the times everything else was pulled from the projects that were ready done before this feels like a song that is a little different to the rest to me maybe i'm imagining it because i know that but um there's something about this a different energy in this song for me mm. possibly but, the fact that it's a duet yeah it takes yeah yeah of Prince course yeah i guess probably spotlight. yeah but it's i don't know it seems more uh, rigid yes. than the rest. I feel like it feels m more of the time and what everyone else was doing. Right. I feel like of it was the time. Yeah. There you go. He's so diverse in his writing style that this can be out of character for the album and not out of character for him. So yeah. 
you never yeah. really know. But um, it's just down the line, isn't it? Yeah, it just does yeah. what it says on the. Tin. But it's a great pop song. Man. But you say, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's doing that th- that pop song thing. If you look up this song, he'll talk about it being similar in the way that "Addicted to Love" by Robert Palmer was a thing, um, where I mean, it was written for a friend apparently who would only ever dance to songs that they were familiar with, and he wanted to test the waters on that and write a song that would be unknown that friend um and apparently the friend didn't get it until it was released and, and charted. It was in the top yeah. 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 yeah as soon as it was in the top 10 he loved it i like that proving a point right i'm gonna have to go and write a top 10 now aren't i yeah oh, yeah <laughs> you know what i'm like oh, oh. <laughs> you know me yeah. yeah yeah but yeah it's it is a contrast to some of the rest of the album but it was also one of the songs that made this album in its time more of a hit i think it would have suffered in terms of sales if this song wasn't on it so a good last minute addition I would say um, so yeah let's move on to track 11 which is called If I Was Your Girlfriend track 11 If I Was Your Girlfriend complete banger <laughs> complete banger great to know um, here's one. I thought um, the slap bass in this is flipping amazing. It's, it's flipping. so good, oh isn't it? God, it's yeah. just so, so pocket and lush. Yeah. Um, it, it reminded me, and this is quite funny itself, of Larry Graham, who who invented slap. Essentially, yeah. it's yeah. exactly that kind of like really old school slap technique. But um, up until now, I've been calling him Larry Graham, and well, I just, no, I just realized no, no, American, that's what Americans call American would call but him. But I, I didn't realize his name was actually Larry yeah. Graham. Well, so, Larry Graham. Larry Graham. Yeah, he's um he's a bass player for Sly and the Family Stone, and yeah. I've got that written down here as a reference point. Um, there's a riot going on that album, which is really dark, mm. really doped up. There's a big heroin vibe on that album, yeah. anyway. Um, that's one of the, the references I had here, and it's it's so uh, this song's so sleazy. This is I think this is number one for me. Is this the yeah. one? Yeah, this fair, is the one. Fair. It's a good song. It wasn't it wasn't the the one for me, but I mean it's it's got to be top three. Top um, two for me. It's it's interesting. Like this is another perfect example of the Camille alter ego of Prince. Yeah, this is one of those tuned up songs again, where it's that um, alter ego voice, and this is probably the most prominent version of that voice. This makes it most notable, I think. But such a good effect, and for it to just fit in the album, yeah. to come up with a complete alter ego with a different voice, but it still fits in the album. It's still undeniably Prince, regardless of of what he's done to it. I love everything about this song, and I I love it because this song sounds the most contemporary of the lot. I think. Yeah. This is this is a D'Angelo song. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could you could yeah. drop this into yeah. a D'Angelo album. You could brush it up a bit. You could um, apply some more modern recording techniques or, or whatever or, yeah. or sounds. And it's it's basically that. The only difference is now that you someone will play with really lazy drums. Probably that's it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean. Like it's too much hi hat, but yeah. it's it's the same thing in terms of subject matter. Um, I think a lot of people f- see this as a love song and something quite sentimental. But I mean, it's pretty much. I I thought it was a song about jealousy. It generally outlines his her Susanna's relationship with. Her sister. Yeah, I think that's. Wendy. I think you're right. Yeah. That's what. That's what it is, though. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's him kind of wanting to get as close to Susanna as she is with her sister, and being like, "Well, if I was like your girlfriend, as in like your friend and stuff, w- would I be closer to you? Would I get to do the things that you do with her?" And I think yeah. it's a very jealous song, and comes from not the most sincere of places. And again, you know, the, the amount of per- personas that he embodies can you can just hide behind those. This is Camille talking. Yeah, now. this isn't Prince. Well, exactly. So you can't yeah. hold him to rights on that. Exactly. There's some. Uh, the, the one problem that I do have with this song is the ending, but it's a persona anyway. Mm. So there's some there's some things that Prince says. Yeah. So I don't know if you've got them written down, but he starts doing the sort of monologue. We don't have to make children to make love. 
You don't have to make love to have an orgasm. Uh, your body's what I'm all about. And he goes on about like, he's almost begging this person to take their clothes off. And he's like, yeah. I take my clothes off for you. I'd, I'd dance a naked ballet for you. It's obsessive. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's yeah, stalkerish. It's obsessive. It's yeah. obsessive. That's the, that's the weird part of it. But it matches the, the vibe of the song. Totally. You know? Random fact, uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z, they, in 2002, they released Bonnie and Clyde and they featured a few lyrics from this song. Did they? Really? Yeah. There you go. Inspiration down the line. But timeless. You, but yeah, all of this stuff, like even when we got up to here, we've covered so many bases with, with the songs so far anyway. Mm. This feels like a song that hasn't been, uh, hasn't appeared on the album yet. Like in terms of its influence and the stuff that was coming up. Like, yeah, I, lo- I love this just because it, it sounds really, really timeless. I, yeah. Um, There's a great cover of this by the Eels as well. I don't know whether you heard that. I did. Oh, I liked it. Yeah, it's really good. But I did hear the TLC version. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. There's your R&B well, modern influence. Well, that's what I mean. I, I was like, I was like, this sounds so much like this. Surely someone like D'Angelo or something mm-hmm. has, has this credited. And I went and heard it, heard the TLC version. And, and, it's, and it's more brought up to date. Ironically, sounds a bit more dated now <laughs> yeah. because of the way that time works. Yeah. Um, I thought what was most interesting about that. And, you know, we've just done, you got the look as well. We've just done Sheena Easton. Yeah. And the, the way that Prince write, he write, writes so prolifically, as well as for himself, he, he writes for other people. And... If I could see an alternate universe with Prince, I would love it if he became like a super producer and yeah. started writing Wouldn't all these that songs. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine? Like, amazing? Like, imagine if this this song was then repackaged in you know 1999 for well, I mean, I guess TLC was probably around then anyway. So that's doing them a disservice. But imagine some of these songs being brought up to date. And yeah, or even if he was just still around to like obviously he remained a releasing artist in his own right right up until his his sad death. But if he had stepped away a little bit and became more of a ghostwriter for different mm. artists, I mean, the power he could have in that situation, you know, in all these different fan bases yeah. of people, it would have been so powerful. Right, imagine if, like, he, he did what the Neptunes did or something, you know, mm. like, was like, was this powerhouse producer. Yeah. And, and just brought these Prince-like ideas. He could have table. even not consciously done that and just given 100 songs from his vault to people and mm-hmm. they could have all been mm-hmm. mad, massive songs um, to... To call back to Charlie's point referencing Beyonce and Jay-Z featuring some lyrics from this, they definitely took it, well, she definitely took inspiration from this, I think, this is purely a stretch, um, because she brought out a song called If I Were a Boy um, oh, yeah. in the yeah. mid-2000s, yeah. and that's definitely a kind of contrasting thing. And then you had um, with Justin Timberlake, who brought a song out called If I Was Your Boyfriend, mm-hmm. and it has a similar vibe. And so this is obviously echoed through the time, definitely into that late 90s, early 2000 pop world. So like Good you point, said though. at the start, you know, with the, um, this could be, this could be a D'Angelo song or whatever. It definitely has echoed through mm-hmm. the timeline more so than a yeah. lot of other songs. On this Lo- I love it. I, I would never, never skip that one on, on the rotation. Now, in terms of us describing that song as a little bit kind of intrusive and jealous, um, let's go into something that solidifies those themes, which is track 12, Strange Relationship. That was track 12, Strange Relationship. Cool tune. Yeah. This was written with uh, Alicia and Wendy, right? I believe. Uh, yeah, so this was originally a Purple Rain era, so circa yeah. 1983. But I think, you know, um, and we talked about it before, but I think Prince buried their parts in the mix again on this tune. So yeah. uh, 
I think it was backing vocals again, but I think some other parts of them actually playing instruments is is buried in this song. Yeah, so this was a... This song was originally on the Dream Factory, which was a Revolution album. And yeah, Wendy and Lisa featured on it heavily and were mixed out of it. He reclaimed the track for Camille. So a lot of that cutting of those two was done for Camille. Then the song was brought into Sign of the Time. So again, features that pitched up Camille persona. This is the only song that actually gets uh, credit on all of those three songs, the three albums that we were talking about. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. um, Because obviously it hits the Camille thing. It's being written from that persona, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's early enough to be on the um, Dream uh, Factory yeah. record. Isn't and it amazing, amazing to see the journey of a song like that through, uh, yeah. the through line of a song. Through. To go right back. And it does, it throws a spanner in the works in terms of who a lot of these love songs are written about because For sure. at that point in time, in the Purple Rain era, Susanna was not really on his radar in terms of, a, in a romantic sense. This was, Prince had a lot of protégés because of his deal with Warner where he could essentially bring artists to the label. And at this point, he was seeing a girl called Denise Matthews, whose stage name was Vanity. And so it's said that this song was written about her. Um, The track was sent to her on a tape, actually. And I don't think she was too happy to hear it. But um, basically, she was, at the time, dating other people while she was seeing Prince. And this was Prince's attempt to draw her back in with absolute desperation. I can't help but feel like that would be the ultimate way of getting back at someone, isn't it? Releasing like a, a song about them. I always think that. Yeah. It's such a weird song, man. It's so creepy and again, so possessive and so manipulative and sinister and yeah, like the th- uh, weird song, man. But again, that's written in that persona. So yeah, weird from Camille's perspective. Yeah, no, that's again, it's such an interesting vehicle for expression, having multiple personas because no matter what you say, it just can't be held against you. Um, but yeah, the chorus, you've got like, baby, I just can't stand to see you happy. More than that, I hate to see you sad. Honey, if you left me, I might just do something rash. What's this strange relationship? So it's like, I really don't want to see you happy without me, mm. but I really don't want to see you sad. So if you leave me, I might do something rash, you know, read into that what you will. Um, what's this strange relationship? So it's almost like he's acknowledging how weird the, the connection is between the two of them, but is being so manipulative and emotionally blackmailing. I mean, this is essentially a domestic abuse description in terms of how he's manipulating this other person sure. into, into coming back to him. Mm-hmm. But all done to a four, uh, four to the floor beat. Yeah. All done with four nice on the floor. Which light like, feeling like, tune. Like we said earlier in the episode, it's like, it's really hard to, it's only when you start dissecting these songs that you realize the themes because with Prince, you can be very, you can very easily just listen to it and be like, yeah, man, great groove. This is a yeah. tune. It's only when you dig in and find the themes. And I think it's hard to separate those sometimes with it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, a, a, a middling song for me, a middling song for, for sure. Me. Um, it's, it's interesting in its use of the sitar because that comes through the fair light as well. That was, that was them uh, accessing yep. uh, new instrumentation. Oh, by the way, the Fairlight was $26,000. Small small fry. At though. the time? At the time. I bet you that's worth a lot of money now. Not it, that one, because that'll be worth millions, but it, those in general. It, yeah, isn't it so funny though? Like, the sounds of that are obviously amazing, but guaranteed you probably could get that on your phone now. The funny thing is, is you, you look at these things being used, because it looks like an amazing bit of kit. So you've got all of these discs, you've got this um, light pen that, that you can use against the monitor to draw in uh, waves or, or edit the waves that you've sampled with. Really? That's yeah, pretty it's, advanced. It's, yeah. it's nuts. It's re- really, really nuts. And I look at it, I'm like, wow, wouldn't that be an interesting thing to have? And then I'm like, yeah, but I don't have the patience to sit and use something on like an app that does the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, do I... Could I be in a room where that's the only thing making like humming and making a noise and kicking off a load of heat? And like, then... Imagine you invented that 
instrument and then Prince started using it on a, on a lot of tracks you'd just yeah. be like oh thank god for that yeah. man we're finally yeah. going to recoup this because it must have cost millions to develop yeah. an R&D but that inventor is the person in that video I think he might even be he might be Australian he comes in he's like um, he does this thing and the, 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 the host is like oh that's cute and I'm like what do you mean that's cute patronizing <laughs> yeah, you prick. you've got a sit at it and you've got your you've got like keys and you've got uh you've got your, your monitor and then you've got the console and then you've got like everything that runs all of that on the on your on your other side and have you ever seen those youtube videos of that guy who's like invents useless machines and it's like he'll be taking like a nap or something oh i have seen that yeah. and like it's this massive convoluted machine that goes all around his house and like takes about 15 minutes just to like tap him on the head to wake him sure. up or something sure Reminds me of one of i mean if you can do it do it you know Hooray. so we're in jealousyville now in this song yeah and then we sort of, uh, we straighten up a bit next because um, Prince has a crisis of confidence or something because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has a crisis of confidence or he has an acknowledgement of self, but we'll probably talk about that in a second. So let's move on. This is track 13, I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man. Track 13, I could never take the place of your man. And I couldn't take the place of your man. Not that kind of guy. <laughs> so this is an this ends side three. I know that much now that I've got my ducks in a row. Now that you've got and your the, shit together. Yeah, and this feels ducks like in a, a row. Yeah, I've got my ducks in a row. Have you never row. heard that? No. Get your ducks in a row. Get your ducks in order. Get your ducks in a line. You need to get your ducks in a row about... I think I might. Getting your ducks Idioms, yeah. Yeah, if you don't mind. You're an idiom. I mean, you come in and bring in that word that, saying that I've Sarah said Dupados. it. <laughs> no, the other one. Oh, Prosody. Yeah. Stop arguing. And you know, no, know nothing about ducks. What's that saying when uh, when it rains? Ducks will be happy. That one? <laughs> oh, my God. Did you just make that up? No. Oh, the ducks will be happy. Uh, nice weather for ducks. Oh, that's it. It's raining ducks and cats. Anyway, right. Right. Anyway, track 13. I could never take the place of your man. I'm up. I love this one as well. I do, man. It's so good, so poppy, and it gives me like summer out in the streets vibes. You know? Yeah, that's why I had a reference for this as um, Don Henley, "Boys of Summer." It's in no way related. It pretty much sounds nothing like it, but the feeling that that song gives me of like absolute summer, just like nothing does not like not a care in the world. Not, not a care in the world. Nothing's gonna get me. Um, this song does date back to Prince's sessions in the late seventies. The only reason I know that is because on the deluxe edition. There is a version of this dating 1978, I think. So let's assume he wrote it around that time. I think it's a banger. I think it's like a, it's like a power pop. Like it is yeah. until about four minutes in, and then it completely yeah. changes into that like bluesy well, like breakdown. So good. Yeah, we can we can split that into two. Really, first of all, um, people talk a lot about um, similarities between Jimi Hendrix and Prince. When, when referencing all of these things, um, Carlos Santana came up a lot. Okay, and that yeah. like if you if you go into these like extended jams through Santana records, like oh okay, the feeling is is more there than that heavy blues stuff. It's more influenced by um, South America, that sort of yeah that sort of thing. There's that, but if but also alongside that, if you go back and listen to Sticky Fingers, the Rolling Stones album, you've got um, Can You Hear Me Knocking at the end of the song. Uh, it's exactly like this. It's exactly really? like this. Yeah, it's all of those things. But it, but again, it's a, it's a live song. That mm. sounds 
like it's, it does sound very live. It sounds like it's just caught live, and the, they've just they've just cut the audience out. It's mad. I love it. It's so power poppy, and it's like a, it's like a rock song. Like yeah, a rock song. it is. It is quite rocky. It's that that rock that wasn't rock at that point in the eighties, yeah. where it's like yeah, kind of guitars were brought in with a bit of distortion. Yeah, I was like, I, like it. Like if you think of like the knack, you know, like my Sharona, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. sort mm. of like real poppy, but with a rock element. Like yeah, yeah. In terms of lyrical content, I mean, the, the loose outline is that he's in a bar. He meets this woman, he goes up and offers to buy her a drink or whatever, and she says that her partner's left her. She's already got a kid and she's pregnant with another, and um, Prince asks her if she wants to dance. And she kind of wants to get closer to him and kind of offers to go home with her or whatever. And he's like, listen, I mean, I'm pretty much only good for a one-night stand. I'm never going to be able to be that person to you as in, as in father your kids and, and raise your children for you. I'm more just out for a good time. So I could never take the place of your man is kind of what he's saying to her. So interesting storyline to it it kind of now refers back to the more prince prince that we know of being the kind of ladies man yeah. um in and out kind of guy Take that yeah but, <laughs> but um but also from a humbling uh side position well it's better know. than strange relationship it's definitely a lot more wholesome than that isn't it yeah it's like maybe i'm here if you fancy it it's like that yeah but it's also quite weird because he, he <laughs> the, name like, of, the name of my biography what, what was that? the name of my biography i'm here if you fancy it <laughs> Go on. Yeah, same for me. If, if, and again, love of my life. If Just you're a shout out. Um, Chris's biography is being released next week. It's available on all of your major book buying websites. Thank you. It hasn't got to Amazon yet. They've said no, but we're working on it. Um, yeah, so really good song. It's Again, in, in the lyrical content, there's a moment where he's like, he gets tears in his eyes when she says that she's she'd rather die or, or whatever. And like, yeah, it's really sad. Your idea of Prince is, is one of, the way that he writes his his music but i always get the impression that he's also a very sincere like there's a there's a te there is a tenderness to, to prince that sometimes you miss in the sexually charged songs i think and there is yeah i mean he's he's everyone isn't he yeah. he's every side to every yeah. person yeah. ever he's he's always in and out of different yeah different ways of being and you know he's he was brought up quite a religious man mm -hmm. and then later in life obviously i think it was around 2001 he came out as a jehovah's witness it was interesting because wendy and lisa from the original um, Revolution Band, wanted to get back together with Prince to do a kind of celebration concert, which I think they wanted to do in, two, in the year 2000. They were hopeful that it would happen, but they told the Minneapolis Star Tribune in 2004 that they thought Prince would say yes, but he didn't. He declined because of her homosexuality and the fact that she's half Jewish. Oh, no shit. Yeah, she was, told, she was told that Prince wanted her to give a press conference denouncing her homosexuality and announcing that she was converting to Jehovah. Wow. She said, I was like, I guess we'll never hear from him again. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so, chew on that while we listen to a song about religion. This is track 14, The Cross. Track 14, The Cross. What an ending. What an ending. What massive. What a harmony at the end of that. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And just how it builds, man. It just builds up and up and up. And it's so powerful. You're just like, if you're sitting down listening to that song, you're standing by the end of it with your hands over your yeah. head. You're, you're proclaiming. Oh, we're back to religious territory with uh, Manchester. After Manchester. Oh. If, if Here anyone we go hasn't again. listened to episode two, which was Manchester Orchestra, Me and Everything to Nothing, if you want to be absolutely brain melted by us trying to read into religious themes, then go listen to that one because it's uh, the journey. Can I give you a religious theme? Go on. For a minute. He's talking about the cross. He never refers to Jesus 
in this tune. It's oh, always yeah, seen okay. as a cross, which is quite interesting. But um, I read something and it was, I thought it was quite interesting. And it was that um, the cross that is the instrument of Jesus' torture and death is also the figurative instrument of salvation. As in people are always, you know, wearing crosses around their neck mm-hmm. and everything. And I thought mm-hmm. it was really interesting that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, representation that is, in, that is in general an interesting symbol for christianity yeah it's like yeah. i said loosely based on this i mean track, it's a piss but... take if you're if you're jesus christ if you're jesus, and you come back <laughs> yeah. and you're like listen everyone hi i'm back for the second coming just before we start what the fuck are you doing with that why you... neck, dude? That's yeah. Like, yeah i can turn water into wine why why isn't a wine bottle my yeah. bit yeah right? i know you all drink booze but or if you if you bloody choked on a bit of turkey someone would be wearing a bloody necklace with a little bit of turkey on <laughs> yeah I mean, imagine I turkey um, but yeah, we, we all have our problems, some big, some are small, some soon all of our problems will be taken by the cross. So it's like, this to me was a nice call and answer. And it's a good position on the album for me because in track one, sign of the times when he talks about the state of the world and all the problems in the world and all the things that we're dealing with, poverty, war, drugs, just issues. And then in this, he's like, we all have our problems, some big, some small, but they'll all be taken by the cross. So it's like, it shows some element of hope in contrast to that song being yeah. so um, dystopian and stuff like that. You know what he he started singing when he became a Jehovah's Witness? Do you know what he changed the words to? In this song? Mm-hmm. Oh man, tell me. It wasn't the cross anymore. Is what this real? You're gonna say? It was the Christ. Fuck, I'm going to have to quickly look that up because that was just something I read really quickly. Yeah. I'm certain that's the thing. This is what Sheila E. wrote, his uh, MD, musical director. Um, she said, when I first met him, he believed in God. But after that, there was a time when it seemed like he didn't believe in anything. Um, but then he became a witness and I felt for him that believing in something was better than nothing. Yeah. So that's fair I, enough. Feel like, yeah. I feel like that's what this song alludes to, really. Yeah, but believe in what you want, you know, and, and he obviously converted faith, but under a similar umbrella. But yeah, so this song is a, a, a religious song and, and who knows what where he was at in, in his head at the time in terms of his faith but yeah once it picks up it is quite apocalyptic Mm. in that it again almost describes a kind of judgment day like a reckoning like a kind of end of times just like sign of the times does um and like he does in um you know 1999 that song he did it's kind of it is quite apocalyptic in its themes i remember susan rogers saying that um whenever prince is going through like a, a a writing phase or or a behavior phase that might be questionable or self-serving he he ends up writing a song like that like a redemption song like this right and oh, wow. so she, she she called this a sunday song basically okay because he's asking for redemption basically so if it, yeah so if, if his songs have been sexual or lustful or something like that this is where he this repents is the response. Yeah, he, he, he repents through song i mean why not who else would if, if anyone's going to make every single move through song it's going to be prince yeah isn't it? Mm-hmm. yeah the song itself though again it's really interesting it's it doesn't change apart from just ascend it just it just mm. builds and builds and builds and builds yeah really really interesting this, writer man this would have been another song that would have been scrapped by anybody else really in the way that he played the drums because he's playing to no click or anything he's yeah and it's mm-hmm. um they really vary in, in speed well the whole um, song speeds up yeah yeah as, as it goes and that's again testament back to what susan rogers was saying about him not playing to a click well just, that's what she's grooving she's talking about this song and she's saying they speed up really badly and uh, yeah. he didn't care about that he just it yeah. was it was all feel he was here he was hearing where the rest of the song was going in his head while laying yeah. down the drum track thankfully there's no session players who have to come in and play over that you have that if he's going to play every instrument then him being slightly out of time on certain things or, or not being linear with his shift in tempo, it doesn't matter. He, he knows yeah. in his head what, what it needs to sound like. You're scaring me with the thought of um, 
tempo mapping that if you had to sit down and actually figure out where the yeah. tape track can you imagine because he's not doing it like one bpm at a time or wherever yeah. he's just moving where he needs to and that's that's what makes it beautiful and that's what makes it it hard to reproduce but uh, again that, that's a departure from any other song in the album there's no other song like that and no. i know we just touched on it uh, before we started recording but i said like this could be like an alanis morissette song or something mm. you know yeah it, or it could be when it's just him and the guitar on that yeah, live show like, it could be anyone but yeah. it's mad as well to think that like this was all written over a relatively small period of time i know there are albums in between but he released albums so you know back to back there was a good quote from Susan Rogers about his kind of writing process. And she said that the songs came out like a sneeze, one track after the next, after the next. A couple of other quotes on, on his work ethic while we're here. Prince said himself in a radio interview in 1986, he says, I work a lot. I'm trying to get a lot of things done very quickly so that I can stop working for a while. Everyone's afraid I'm going to die, was what he said in 1986. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. Um, Susanna, his former fiance, said his work ethic was crazy. If you couldn't keep up, you were out. So everyone kind of acknowledged his relentless work ethic. Questlove say, says the same in a Rolling Stones interview. Really? <clears throat> yeah, after Prince had died. He's actually talking about uh, lots of things about Prince and how Prince, despite maybe struggling with hip-hop and stuff, was the embodiment of hip-hop and he outlines why. And I won't explain why. But in terms of work ethic, Questlove was like, whenever I was up at five in the morning, I was, I was like, why am I doing this? And then I'd remember... Well, it, Prince is probably awake working now. So. <laughs> Those are words to live by, man. Yeah. If you're ever feeling like you're overworking I, yourself, yeah. remember that Prince was working harder yeah. than you. I'll see you boys at 5am tomorrow. Yeah. See you at 5 tomorrow. Cool, um, cool article though. I'd recommend reading it. Um, yeah, we'll link to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I said earlier on, this to me is a very much a performance album. And at this point in the album, we start going into some live versions of songs and you get a feel for how it was translated live. So let's move on to track 15, which is It's Gonna Be A Beautiful Night, the live version. Uh, this was track 15. It's going to be a beautiful night. Ooh, ew. Let's bounce. Um, ew. What's that from, Ben? <laughs> What's that from? Oh, it's from The Wizard of Oz. I didn't know that until this at this point. There you go. The yeah. March of the Winkies. <laughs> <laughs> Don't what? say it like it that. Is. It is. Cool. I thought it was from The Simpsons. Huh. Because it's, it, it features The Simpsons. And now the moment everyone's been waiting for. Oh. The longest track of the album. Thanks, Charlie. But I don't know if it counts because it's a live version. I mean, it's nine minutes, is it? How many? How long is it? Sorry, Charlie, to step on your toes there. How long is it, mate? Nine monots. Oh, all right. Great. Well, yeah, um, there's a couple of live versions back to back here. Again, if you haven't watched that live concert film, just go watch it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, everyone in the band plays an amazing part. And yeah, they, I, think they called, I think they were called the Love Sexy Band, this incarnation of Prince's band. You had obviously the revolution. I think these guys were called the Love Sexy Band. So that's what came next. Love Sexy. That's the next album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that band in its in that incarnation was that. So you. What got, did he call you when you played the the uh, string hits? Uh, the big sexy. Oh, yeah. Or big tasty. Sometimes it depended. Oh. Isn't that a McDonald's burger? Yeah, that, they named that after me as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, this is a kind of good insight into his live persona, tapping into that James Brown thing again of directing the band the whole way through. Yeah. We had a good, we had a comment actually on Instagram from uh, Vivid Cole who was talking about Sheila E on drums. And she, he says, I adore this version. Sheila E absolutely killed her part. And there's a great bit in this where Sheila E is the drummer and she's playing drums. 
And then she comes off the drum kit and Prince starts walking up towards the kit and they do like a secret handshake as they pass each other. And then Prince gets on drums and carries on the beat whilst Sheila E comes down and takes center stage and does this whole rap part. And it's so good, like ridiculously good. Does this whole thing and then goes back and takes over the drum kit and like all the choreography, everything is just flawless on that. It's one of my favorite bits of the whole thing. This is his James Brown moment on the album though, isn't it? Really I mean, is. It, yeah. it creeps through on a lot of things, but this is like... Uh, get up i feel like a sex machine and funky president is in there and there's there's so much stuff mm-hmm. aside from the fact that he was commanding his band like he was james brown yeah and, yeah. and the fact, you know he's moving around like james yeah. brown as well james brown yeah. is one of the best physical live performers uh, yeah. ever to have existed and it was um on the credits uh were matt fink and eric leeds on this Matt one Fink, the doctor the who, doctor who is the yeah. um who literally on stage is dressed as a doctor yeah but they were on the writing credits for this song Really? Yeah, which is obviously mm. big deal. Big deal. Big deal, exactly. yeah. I mean, Matt That's... Fink goes back a long way in the Prince trajectory because he is a surviving member of the Revolution Band as well. The song itself did, uh, it came out of a, a jam session, so he says on this podcast. Really? Tonight, yeah, it's the result of playing uh, just playing in the room, playing, playing through sound checks and stuff. Mm. So it's interesting how he would have credited those two on it i don't know how you know how it was maybe it. the jam started between those two and then prince came out and yeah, jumped maybe. in and that was maybe. it pretty controversial <laughs> um whilst we're in that mode then let's let's shout out um that band from that live performance because if they're not credited on the album they can at least be credited on this podcast so on drums we had sheila e on bass guitar we had levi Cesar jr um guitar we had miko weaver another surviving member of the revolution band uh, matt dr fink on keyboards wearing his doctor's outfit Bonnie Boyer on keys and also some backing vocals and throwing um, petals around. Eric Leeds on saxophone. Matthew Atlanta Bliss Bliston on trumpet. And then you had Kat, who was the singer, choreographer, hype person, just giving it big ones. So yeah, amazing. Incredible. I can't even imagine what that sounds like. Like like what the bands must have sounded like would have been. This is the thing though, like we're used to gigs of this era, of our lifetimes anyway. I wonder what the sound, like I wonder what the speaker sounded like. I wonder what the sound system was like. I wonder what the live engineer was like you know yeah i mean i imagine prince demanded perfection but also like i don't think he was too precious about it and this is an interesting story that involves you charlie um so me and charlie were on a tour once in the u.s and we did a show at first avenue in in minneapolis which was one of prince's he would play there a lot and it was a kind of an institution for him and overnight we arrived in the tour bus and we were led into an underground car park Woke up in there and we're just like, right, here we go. And as you walk into the venue, this whole underground section of the venue was where Prince would come in when he would play. So it was all sealed off. And on the wall, as you walk through, there was a piece of the wall, some of the brick with a frame around it. And it just said Prince was here in Sharpie on the wall. And then as you go inside, it's this incredible venue. And throughout the day, I mean, we were there really early because we wouldn't load into the venue until like 4 p.m. And we were there, we'd woken up there. So we went inside for showers and stuff. And I got talking to the guy who runs and manages the venue and was talking to him about Prince. And he said that sometimes in Minneapolis, when the venue would have a dark day, which means there's no act on that particular day, Prince would call them up and be like, are you guys empty? And he'd be like, yep, you're coming down. And he would come down with his band, secretly load into the venue and set up and then just start playing a set. They would open the front doors of the venue and anyone who was passing by would be let into the show until it was at capacity, and then he would just play. And he would play for hours and hours and hours and hours. So flipping cool. Could you imagine walking down the street in Minneapolis and hearing Prince coming out of a venue and just people being like, you want to go in and watch that? Why don't people do stuff like that all the time? I think that is the coolest thing. Yeah, and he never he never left as like Minneapolis. You know, that was his place. He would obviously go away for work and would, would record in different places, but 
all of his home studios, all of his roots were in Minneapolis. The uh, the bus parking area is as big as the venue, pretty much. It was massive, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had those sofas there and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, a really interesting venue and a really interesting part of his career. And it was a privilege to be around that and see. He, every time he would get a golden record, he would send one to the venue. So they had hundreds of them on the walls that they'd been donated um, from Prince. So when the um, the revolution was shelved and put to one side, when Prince was formulating the next band, I remember them being in Minneapolis. I remember a conversation that one of the guys was saying uh, in one of these interviews, and he's saying he's in the he's in the bar in that venue, and uh, nobody knows who who this person is. I forget who it is. He's talking. Uh, it might be one of the horn section, and um, they're talking about how Prince hasn't uh, got anybody in from Minneapolis, and they're ragged. They're like, oh, "What's the deal with that? Like, God, this this." new band is gonna have to be really good and this, and this guy's like having a drink and he's like shitting himself because he's just arrived yeah yeah in no new way. Setup, uh sat in the sat in the in the what's, what's the name of the place did you say first, first avenue first avenue yeah and uh and he's just there like shitting himself over and he's like goes back and he's like well i've just heard all these people talking uh, talking shit on us like because it better be good not, yeah it better be good and it was also you know this was something i read as well and this was in a forum by an unknown person so who knows how true this is but apparently because prince was known to be let's not call it plagiarism, let's say inspired by other people, that there was a thing that would be uttered on the Minneapolis streets, which was like, be careful what you play around here in case it ends up on Warner Brothers Records. Oh, no shit. Whoa. Yeah. What a little magpie. <laughs> what, what a little magpie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's move on to track 16, which is a door, because this is, I assume this to be a live version, because it starts with a crowd noise, but sounds quite polished, so I don't really know that. But let's uh, move on. This is track 16, a door. That was track 16 and the final track, Adore. Um, what, what an ending. Wow. What an ending. Beautiful. Chris has just been saying off mic how much he loves that last little vocal line. That whole, that whole line at the end is he's, where he says, for all, all time I am with you. He sounds like a completely different singer. Not, not going to sing mm. it? For all time I am with you. Great. <laughs> nice. Um, we did get a comment about this track from a guy called David Guan on Instagram. So thanks for dropping us a message. He says, Prince's live performances are more emotional than those on the album, but the only song he couldn't re reproduce, like the original, is Adore, because the essence of the whole song is in the final narration and lyrics. It's a funny one, off the back of Essence. Essence magazine in 2009 included the song in their list of 25 best slow jam songs of all time. So it's still getting, well, that was 2009, so was a while back. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Uh, Charlie's it's useless and non-up-to-date facts. Stay tuned for next week. <laughs> Keep coming back, please. Uh, that, we'll was my, that was my favourite song on the album. Oh, really? You romantic song. Flipping out. I mean, I'm a happily married man, but that might even be my, you know. <laughs> You're what? Go on. Answer. Yeah, let's put him on the spot. Go on, shall we? When you renew your vows. When we renew our vows, I might get that number in the old mix. Cool. That was almost a... Uh... That was weird as well, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's another amazing Shout performance. Shout out, wifey. I think after listening to it, Again, it is definitely off that live version of the album. Do you think that is a, a live version? I think so now, listening to it back. I mean, it starts with crowd noise and it has some distance in the in the mics and stuff. For me, it does sound like that. It's got a bit of room reverb, but mm. could could not be. It could have just put crowd noise in. Who knows? Maybe but didn't it, it sound doesn't it sound current and doesn't it sound like it could be released today and do very well? Yeah. 
and that's a testament to his writing. Yeah. You know? hmm. like the theme of the song, I felt like this was his sexuality and spirituality coming together, like oh, okay. in one. Nice. How I, I felt. Like that. I felt like this was such a good ending to the. Oh, it's amazing. I think there have actually been lineups of the the tracking of the album where It's Gonna Be a Beautiful Night is actually the last track on the album, which does feel like it marks the end of an album. And it does so even so much for me that I forget how good a door is until I get to it. Mm. I'm not expecting that to come back around again. It does round off the album really well. You know, there was a lot of pressure on this album. The album before it, which was called Parade, which which had Kiss on it, um, (laughs) was um, the soundtrack to a film called Under Under the Cherry Moon which did terribly. Did you hear about the awards, the Razzies? Uh, that he won them all, probably. Yeah, so this was the first feature film that Prince had starred and directed in entirely and written. He had some help on Purple Rain. Um, there's an award ceremony called the Razzies where they basically pick out the worst of every film, the worst actor, the worst everything. And for his film, Under the Cherry Moon, he pretty much cleaned up. He got worst actor, worst director, <laughs> worst original song, and worst supporting actor in the, one, in the same year in 1987. He got worst nice. actor and worst supporting actor. He didn't get, but his film did. Oh, I see. Yeah, Jerome Benton, I think it was, who was the supporting That's a shame. Actor. It's, a, it's shame. a shame. And so there was a lot of pressure on him to come out with something that wasn't as... Royal shame. As ragged, yeah. Well, um, what, a, what a couple of middle fingers up at the establishment. <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely so, yeah. yeah, he didn't like Under the Cherry Moon, but here you go. Here's um, possibly the best album that's ever been made. So Yeah, take that. Yeah. Yeah. No, not take that. Um, Prince. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> Wrong album. That's next week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's maybe round it off there. And... Oh, do you know if you said, I guess now it's time for me to give up. Oh. That would have been the perfect take that lyric. Yeah, it would have. But you know, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of terrible boy bands like you do. <laughs> right then. So yeah, let's, let's wrap up there. So um, I hope everyone enjoyed that. And I hope we did that album, the justice it deserves, because it is a phenomenal album and something that has, solidified Prince as one of the best in my mind, definitely. I don't know about you guys. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I, I want to go and do the rest of Prince. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so this is obviously between the tracks and we are trying to make this as much of an immersive experience for the audience as possible. So if you have any thoughts about this episode or anything like that, if you go to our website, which will be linked in our bios and you can go to uh, www.tracks.show. There is a comment section at the bottom of the page for this episode where you can tell us what you thought. If we made any mistakes and you want to put some corrections in also feel free to do that. As always, we like to um, support the artist as much as we can, even posthumously in this case. So um, all the links to Prince's music and will be in our bio and will be on our website. If you want to go there and listen to it, um, if you listen to this album on Spotify, when you listen to the songs in between our segments, all that money goes to Prince. We don't um, capitalize off anyone's art. That's something that's quite close to us. So yeah, we hope you enjoyed this one. Next week will be my choice again. Oh yeah? It was recommended to me by a friend who I first toured with and he gave me a couple of really good albums. His name was Paul Musgrave and he gave me a really good couple of albums that kind of shaped the new realm of musical listening for me. One of those albums, the one I'm going to bring in next week is going to be an album by a band called Wilco and the album is called Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Hot damn. Nice. Hot damn. Either of you ever heard that? Nope. Cool. Probably heard it once and hasn't been, hasn't registered. There you go. Well, yeah, so that's a band fronted by Jeff Tweedy, um, really amazing songwriter and I think you'll enjoy it. Can't wait, can't wait. If it's as much fun as this one's been, I cannot wait to get back here. It might not be as much fun as this album, but it's definitely a poignant and beautifully put together album. So yeah, as always with the episode, we try and um, bring in a different beer each week because we like to drink beers. Get the beers in, bud. Thank God. And we always try and make it 
somewhat related to the album. It's hard to find Minneapolis beers or it's hard to find beers with Prince in the name. So we got four cans of beer and all of them are pink or purple or peach and black. One is a peach inf- a peach sour. And it's so. a peach infused beer. Yeah. So let's crack those out, mate. Give us some of that. There's the oh. ASMR again. Thanks. Oh, yay. Um, oh, look at that. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Nice. Well, cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. Cheers. And cheers to Prince. Cheers to Prince. Thank you for an incredible body of work, and we've appreciated it. Uh, beers are from Beercraft in Bath. Beercraft in Bath. Yep, we're racking up a uh, a pretty bill in there. Pretty hefty tab. This. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. They're going to give us a discount very shortly. We've Hopefully. had a we've had a bit of Tiny Rebel now, which are a um, a Welsh brewery, and um, we've had a bit of Polly's. And where's my last can? Oh, talk amongst yourselves. And we've had a bit from Yonder as well. Yonder. Over Yonder. Yonder. Well, Yonder is over Yonder because it's over in bloody Radstock and some. Oh, of get on, Bernard. Get on. Um, all blinding beers because we've we've been tasting them along the way. That one's eight percent, so that's going to be pretty blinding I'll for sure. See you on the other side, Carl. See you later. Everyone. See you boys at five a.m. <laughs> so um, before we go, I just want to again thank you all for tuning in. Thank you so much for the support because the listenership and the uptake on this has been more than we could um, could have hoped for. So yeah, really appreciate you all coming back and tuning in. As we always say, this is a book club, so please, you've got until next Monday to go away, listen to the album, give us any thoughts you want. Just comment on Instagram, Reddit, send us a message on the website. Let us know what you think about Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtron. Until then, everyone take care and look after yourselves in this wild world. My name's Carl Lewis. This is Chris Bunt. (laughs) Jesus. And this is Charlie Fowler. Cheers and gone. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Between the Tracks, a book club, but for music. Written, produced, and presented by Carl Lewis, Chris Bunt, and Charlie Fowler. Intro and outro music by Ross Chapman and Samson Jasso. Artwork by Jim Hurd at Twinfin Design Co. Thanks to our friends at Sennheiser for the support. If you've enjoyed this album and can afford to buy it directly from the artist, links have been added to our website. Okay. That's from oh. Iron Fist. Thanks for that. Iron Thanks, Fist. Iron Fist. Uh, do you have an answer to that one, Charlie? Um, um <laughs> I um Sexylvania. Sexylvania. Princelvania. Yeah. No? Princeton? Princeton, Princeton will Jersey. do. That Princeton will do. Iron Fist is the uh, artist for me then.